Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Crash Chords Podcast. Three? Why three? I don't know. Two was too few and four would have been too many. Ah, I like his style. I, like I, be- his style. I believe three is also a magic number. And one is the loneliest number. Aka, waka, waka. Two can be as bad as one. And 42 is the meaning of life. And how many numbers do you want to throw out here, like, meaning-wise? I don't know. I, don't really I, like I have math. an infinite supply of numbers to work with here. Okay, cool. But you have an explanation behind each and every one of them. I can come up with one. On a dime. All right, quick, quick, 103. That's not, I don't like that number. I'm going to... The dis- number of this podcast? I'm going to disallow. Bingo, he got I'm going to disallow that number. Because I still, even... even You're disallowing? Getting, it was a practice? Okay, that's a well, practice. Well, I still... Right, I still fine. Have, uh, 505. I still have the same number of numbers. 505. Uh, highway. The 505. He's good. He's on today. Where are you? I'm, I'm sitting in the corner, as usual. I'm going to make you turn stay around there. in a minute. Please stay there. So, if you guys have been following uh, the interwebs that Crash Chords is uh, scattered across, um, I was very heavily following... Weird Al's brilliant new marketing plan for his latest record. Um, he released last week, last Tuesday, mandatory fun, um, which of course meant that fun was mandatory to be had. Um, Are you looking at me? I don't know. Like I for don't validation, have, probably. I don't. Know. I don't yes, know. yes. Is, is fun mandatory? Is that is that in our constitution? You must have fun. I believe it's like the Fifty Second Amendment or something. Well, like Well, pursuit that. of happiness. I feel like it kind of falls under that, right? Pursuit yeah, probably. Sure. Fun. Yeah. We're we're obligated to do that. So he released. He announced that the the day before the album came out that he was releasing eight videos over the course of eight days, which he did. The first video being Tacky, which was his parody of Happy by Pharrell, um, and he proceeded to release a video every day until today, the day we're recording Monday, and I shared all of them. And I mean, there there were great ones, there were good ones, there were okay ones, but the brilliant thing that he did that I really admired and was interesting from an internet perspective when we talked about before in the past sharing on social media, oh. each video was released on a different video platform. Oh, I remember what the other one was. So it was Nerdist, Yahoo Movies, Com- uh, um, College Humor, Funny or Die, Vivo, YouTube, Pop Crush, and something else that I Gotten. You got seven. A, you got a lot, but I got a lot of them. That's quite a bit. Seven out the of best eight. part about how he released them, though, is that there was a logic to some of them. Like Pop Crush, which is a very vapid pop website, he released the song "First World Problems" on, which uh... I know was intentional, but I don't know that the website got it. But he got it, which I thought was pretty I funny. Have someone on that website got it. Yeah, well, and true. Knows what they're doing. But um, but I thought that was really interesting that he really, he, pl- he obviously planned this for a while and went instead of releasing just everything to YouTube, went with different online media outlets, which I think was a great way to kind of spread himself across to many different audiences. Yeah, because I, it was I mean, in those news feeds for all of those different videos. And the whole concept behind this is, of course, that he's not going to be releasing albums anymore. He's yeah, his switching. big announcement was that going forward after this studio record, he's going to be releasing stuff online as things come out, which will save us the whole, you know, Weird Al, where did he go? Oh, it's been four years. Here's a new record. Now it'll just be as pop stuff happens, he'll release songs. Which but to it, me, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. It I also, mean, I mean, brilliant, but obvious. It keeps him more topical with what's going on, so it gives him a better outlet to actually make commentary on the stuff he's commenting about. Yeah. Uh, more pointed and right there. Right Plus, there, right to the point. I mean, the thing is, we did review a Weird Al album, even though it was kind of a retro album, because we did it uh, in episode 48, when Gary and Nate 
came from Average Intelligence, and we allow guests to do whatever they want, new or old, and we did uh, Weird Al's Running With Scissors, which is interesting because I had never actually listened to a Weird Al album before. I knew him in the same exact capacity as I might know him from, say, exactly what you're describing, these little one-shots that are now on the internet. That's how I always sort of knew Weird Al, also through his uh, short-lived TV show, which was interesting to say the least. Yeah. He was that figure, which you hear about now and then. But when you judge it on an album scale, sometimes, you know, whole new levels of... of of criticism has to go into it, or or the artistic comedy as a whole, which frankly I don't think fits Weird Al's whole shtick. So I think this is perfect what he's doing. Well, also I'd be the first to admit that on I don't think there's any Weird album I've ever heard that there wasn't a track or two that I just wasn't fond of. So doing this straight to online thing and releasing videos for everything will make him a lot more viral, and it'll it'll and allow him more, to and a lot more virile. Uh-huh. It'll allow him to focus on uh-huh. the good stuff without releasing a thing just because he needs to complete an album arc or complete an album at all. Now he can just release the songs as they come. Well, Dr. Demento was doing stuff until uh, he was ripe old. I think he's not dead yet, right? Oh, he's still around. Yeah, he was in one of the Weird Al videos. Yeah. Because they are old friends. And, right. and one last thing. I do have to comment. Tacky, the video itself was expertly shot. I love the well, fact Well, it's that all it's one a, continuous shot. The fact that it's such a... It moves locations so dramatically and, and is popping different celebrities in and out. It is really, really well done for that video. He said in an interview that because there were so many takes, every take he would have to start at the top of the building. Run downstairs. Well, yeah, top of the building. And then as soon as Aisha Tyler pushed him off camera, change because he's wearing a different shirt also. So take off the suit and the dress shirt, put on the t-shirt as he's running down like eight flights of stairs to get to the ground level for when the camera comes around the corner. Because the song's only three and a half minutes long and you can't wait for an elevator like that. You know, speaking of music videos, I have an interesting thing that I saw just earlier today, come to think of it. And it's something worth noting here in our in our little pre-album banter because it's probably something that I would never feature here on the website if not maybe for an article which could come up soon. There was a music video done around 1990 right at the fall of the Soviet Union and it was called Stairway to Lenin and the interesting thing about it was almost like what I described back at the back at the Sochi Olympics about how they had that one big uh, ballet that was kind of centered around describing the history of Russia and how it went through all these various stages and Namely, one of them was the Bolshevik Revolution and its whole rise to super oppressive governments. This is kind of a similar idea, but it was 20 years before before the time. I mean, this was as Soviet Union was falling, which I think was really, really bold that it was released. And it's to the popular instrumental track Bolero. If anyone ever knows Bolero, it was done by Ravel. It's this sort of in the style of like a Spanish dance, and it has this steady drum, and it's progressively builds and builds and builds and this grand orchestral thing starts taking over and the music video was shot parallel to these stairs because as i said it's called stairway to lenin and it just rises stairs progressively for the entire duration of bolero which is somewhere upwards of six minutes and it always looks like they're constantly going upstairs and i don't know how it was shot i can't explain that unless they actually built a stairway that long, but the camera was moving fairly fast in the profile. And in the meantime, they're showing all these different stages of Russia, just as uh, I described in Sochi Olympics. So some are a bit hard to watch, and then others are like, yeah, I can remember that from history. It's very interesting, just from a artistic perspective. So what, what was the think. artist again? I don't remember the, um, the name of the director, 
but okay. the I mean the piece of music goes back to the twenties. Uh, Ravel's Bolero. Okay, but because so, if they Google that, at least it'll probably come up. Yeah, Ravel's Bolero slash music video or something like that. Uh, a Stairway to Lenin is the name of it. So okay. search that and you'll get. Oh, it. that's true. That I kind I kind of wish it was a spoof on Stairway to Heaven. That's what I th- where I thought you were honestly. Because that would have been it, well. Awesome. It so. is a spoof on Stairway to Heaven because it was done in nineteen ninety. So the name is certainly a spoof on it. Yeah, but just the name. Just the name. It's a little. I'm a little disappointed okay. until I see this video. What more awesome. would you have wanted for it to be a spoof on Stairway to Heaven? And they're climbing the stairway. They were. To Lenin. They were. <laughs> but like that. And then you see Lenin. The top of the stairs. Go figure. Shocking. I thought he was dead. This is my surprise face. Internet, make note. He's dead, but you can still see him through glass. Your, your surprise face looks a lot like your not amused face. And speaking of unamusing things, today's album. Hey. That's, that's very a horrible harsh. premise. It's a harsh, a but premise. it, is, yeah, I it don't was agree. better than last week's segue. I don't even remember what it was. But it was he likes to bad. give things away. This is an album <laughs> that I would, uh, that I would, I would split in two personally, since we're, we're, we're giving this away already. Uh, Coldplay. I gave a brief intro last week. So this is your pick. This is right? my pick of the week. That's right. I was delaying doing Coldplay because, frankly, I didn't know how they would, uh, I don't know, fit in in this decade, which sounds a little harsh. But they were a pop band. They're pop rock, but then their brand of rock was always much more on the downplayed side. And I rather enjoyed it for the mid-early 2000s. I think it was a... I think they were a very progressive pop band for their time because of the fact that they um, they didn't like to fit all of those pop tropes. Frankly, some of the pop tropes that we now uh, ascribe to pop hadn't really been invented yet. I mean, for sure, pop has changed a lot over a decade and a half. Some of it hasn't, but we don't talk about that half. I wouldn't, even, case, I wouldn't even call their earlier work pop, per se. Well, it's more a, nah, I, I would. I really would. aspects of post-rock and indie of the time that would keep it separate from just I pop. would call it pop, to be honest, but I don't say that with any negative connotations, because pop, the only reason we frequently give pop a negative connotation is when it involves things that have been done to death. Okay. The stuff that they were doing at that time had not been done to death. If they were doing anything that may have breached uh, pop, it's just because they were accessible and they had good melodies. And what's wrong with that? And I really liked early Coldplay for that reason, but I just don't know what they've been doing lately. And the thing is, because pop has changed, it could have gone either way around. They could have perhaps kept going in their direction and kept writing to the music, and then maybe it wouldn't have been pop anymore, and that would be cool too. Or perhaps they would begin writing to pop, and that was another possibility. Which brings us back to John's little spoiler. This album is an album split in two for me. Right up front, I will say that half of it is is shameless pop and some of it not so great but we're gonna look in depth with that and the other half is unlike anything i've heard from coldplay before i just want to say that i haven't been away from them as long as you have um the last record i had heard by them was not their previous but the one before it, viva la vida viva la vida is a while back though now that you think about it six years yeah but it's still their second oh, to last oh, record oh wait i want to say okay but yeah. i mean even in that one they were still pushing it a bit and like like the song viva la vida itself was still very pop but it it had complexities and 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 unique unique things that made it still stand out it had some things frankly i found it more of an uplifting album and i think yeah, i actually pref- I, I really that's what but i really liked I, about but it. the thing is i actually preferred uh, coldplay's earlier gloomy side which they do revisit 
with this album. Yeah, I think considerably. Uh, I think it's safe to say that all three of us may have skipped uh, Milo Ziloto, or however you pronounce the 2011 album they did. I don't remember hearing that at I all. I don't remember anyone discussing it. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, we found them now. Okay, so on to so this album, in case we hadn't said it already, is Ghost Stories, um, and the first track is Always in My Head. Um, I mean. For the minute the song starts, it's got this kind of smooth, airy feel, almost an ambience, um, which, I mean, is not unaccustomed to Coldplay. They've started many a song let's, that let's way. Start, let's not start off with ambience. I mean, first of all, there's a there's a straightforward choir going on here, this sort of cool, ethereal intro. It is dominated by that choir and synth. So right away, I'd say there's sort of a contemplative air, which I do equate to Coldplay, almost religious in scope when you think about the quality of that of that choir there uh with just a few editing cutoffs that keep it from floating away completely you recall those editings where, where those edits where it just sort of cuts it sounds like it staggers it, to a point where you think you have a corrupted mp3 <laughs> but it's actually not it's the way the song is designed yeah which was interesting because steve had the same reaction i did when i was listening to it on the bus uh, or on the train i was like oh did i get a bad like did something happen when i downloaded it like what's what's wrong like and it turns out that's just how the song is all it does is it keeps you from sort of latching onto the rhythm right away yeah. because it seems to sort of stagger that rhythm but the big musical moment for me cliched as it may be is the drop very strong riff settles in right after this intro drum machine bass and two guitars all join in together for beat one in this sort of soothing yet somewhat hastened post-rock riff, I would call it. All it's, in 6-8. It does say stay uh, soft, even though it's kind of speeding up the rhythm that you're growing accustomed to. Well, you're not really accustomed to a rhythm yet. The intro, well, the intro by say... contrast... See, this is the thing. They're channeling the, that t- that time-tested power of juxtaposition here. They're contrasting textures with what preceded and also rhythm with, what, with no rhythm that preceded it, frankly, because the intro had just a loose sense of rhythm. It's there, but it's airy. And the editing in that choir, like I said, keeps you from falling in completely. And it's hard to really tell anyway because there's no rhythmic instruments. It's just choir. So but you're you, in, but you're you're in not, no man's land. For... Exactly, but you're not expecting the speed at which they introduce to you when they do bring in the further instrumentation, the, the extra layering here. No, you're not. And that's, and that's that's the power of juxtaposition because when it comes, it all of a sudden it just anchors you and envelops you, frankly, in that, in that bass. Probably because it's a very slow bass. One note per measure... Changing the chord gently and decisively, just letting the bass ring out, which is often nice because a lot of times you get bass grooves or bass riffs where it's sort of playing something fast, not often complicated, just simple. Here, bass just rings out for the duration of the of the of the measure, and it it sort of takes you over much as a synth would. And here we have no synth; it was like it was replaced by the bass. But, and this is where my butts start coming in here. This this setting that they've created now with the bass, with the rhythm, is not is is unending at points. It's just unchanging. There's no further development in any major form from what they they introduce after this choir. Well, that's later this in is... the track, but I do want to go in depth to this riff a little more because after the riff, it could be argued that this track does sort of plateau a bit. But at plateaus, I, I'm still in a, in a state of debate here on this. And after I, I, I sort of flush out this riff section, you tell me what you think in terms of whether it goes somewhere else or not. Now, it should be said that of those three, three core components, the uh, drum machine, the bass, and the two guitars, 
like as four core components. I think those two guitars are the the essence of this. I find them the most alluring things about this riff and the most unique thing about this particular brand of of Coldplay's workings because they were always had this sort of post rock thing about them. But this really goes for the uh, goes for the gold. So two guitars, as I said, one on the high end, one more in the mid range. The one on the high end. It seems to sort of comp for the lower, channeling kind of an interesting division of that 6-8 feel, seeming to accent the 2, the 4, and the 6 of the measure. Every other beat, on the upbeat. Kind of fighting with the dominant triple meter feel here, where you'd naturally feel 6-8 in two groups of three. Like, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. That's how you generally hear 6-8, and that's maintained by the drums. But this bit of color here, what the guitar is doing, insists on just lightly accenting three groups of two. And if that were a downbeat, it would be one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. But because it's on an upbeat here, we get one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. You see what I'm saying? Two, two, four, six, as opposed to one, three, five. Still just a minor echo effect that's going on here, but it wouldn't be as fun without the other lower range guitar. This is performing a little bit looser, because of all the bending going on here, although I'd argue that this is still the dominant instrument at this point. Much more melodic in its lower range, especially enticing at the ends of measures, uh, in the second group of three, as it were, where it seems to step out more into a duplet, essentially replacing the four, five, six block with two beats, evenly spaced, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. Kind of a sexy slowdown at the ends of these measures. Pretty interesting, I felt. It lasts for the duration of the riff, but the riff does come back almost consistently throughout this entire track. The only parts where it's a little bit absent is the verses, and that's where I, I think are, I think that's where it starts to strain a bit. That's the part of this track that I think is a little more lackluster. Well, there's also the 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 words music themselves. Otherwise, I just want to say the music is superb. I I can't I can't really get on board with that though because this rhythm, this this riff just does not change, doesn't evolve. Yeah, it does phase in and out, but it could have benefited from additional accenting, additional layering, or... No, you're probably right. Additional I mean... comping, because, like, these layers are endangered species here. They are so fleeting and so hard to see at points, especially when the vocals are going on, that it's... Even when they're there, it's just a glimpse of something that could be really, really amazing. I think that's the, it's, it's. I think that kind of depends, though, on how you approach the track. Because from one perspective, I found that the second that intro choir ended and that that riff pulled me in, I I sort of started to see it as this constant feature throughout the remainder of the track. So I'm not sure I can go so far as to call it endangered species, except perhaps in the verses where I I do realize that they're kind of surviving off that riff. Yeah. So in other words, it paints a very vivid picture that I was 100% on board with at first. But yeah, I do kind of want it to go it's, somewhere else. Because it, does kind of, it doesn't stagnate. Stagnate is not... It's too powerful a word here. Because it's not like we're at a place that is bad. It not, it's not a place I, I dislike. If we're going to stagnate at a, at a very high altitude, <clears throat> why not stay there? It's great. Yeah, but Your it's a view plateauing. Of the and it's just staying there. There's not a whole level of emotional investment in his vocal work. It's not very strong that way. There's not a whole lot of depth in his lyrical work that I'm getting into. It's pretty at parts. It's not great. Uh, it's a very long, drawn-out vocals that really... I feel like at times he might be trying a little bit too hard to invest into that. 
I just can't get on board with that. It's not filling out anything on top of that rhythm. I agree. On, on top one of that, hand, rhythm. on one and hand, and this is the big issue I have here. It's it's there's pieces here, but none of it's being. There's no glue bringing it together to something greater. Well, I would argue that maybe the that riff is the glue, <clears throat> but it's 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 not a strong enough adhesive. Then it's not bringing uh, that that really pervasive rhythm because that's that remains almost completely unchanged yeah and also I his vocals the beatbox well excuse me drum drum machine <coughs> drum box was i feel like it was a little bit uh steady throughout this track and it kind of set a precedent for many of these other tracks in the album that uh, you know i i i don't want to take a bias and say that i prefer a drummer or the versatility of a drummer but sometimes i really prefer the versatility of a drummer some of these not that a drum machine can't mimic or in some cases exceed Obviously, in some cases, exceed what a drummer can do just because it's a machine. But it doesn't seem like it's been using; it's being used to the best of its ability right here. It's just it's steady and straightforward, and that's exactly what a drum machine is both supposed to do. It's not really reaching out into the next best thing. I know it's, that seems like a small point. No, like no, I'm no. asking I'm more g- from a drum I'm gonna, machine. I'm backing that up. It has a very cold texture for yeah, what the song because it's cold play. <laughs> no, no, no. Eh, I wasn't going for that pun. Thank you very much. The uh, an acoustic drummer, which Playing is cold, is different. It it's it can add a little more warmth just by varying the amount of strength you're hitting on the drum. But I would argue that the coldness of the drum machine is intentional. I feel like, especially when you look at the lyrics of this song, even though there's not a ton of lyrical work to work with, at least in this song, you could fit it all on a page. Mm-hmm. It's it's the fact that you know he's singing about someone that's always in his head. There's a forlorn feel to it. And I think that cold drum rhythm is supposed to mimic that. I mean, that's a reason, not an answer. You know, it explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. As I said in the very beginning, and I think that's a reason for the cool choir intro, because it it establishes a contemplative air. Simple lyrics here, I think of you, I haven't slept. I think I do, but I don't forget. I mean, it's a little childish, and to be honest, I'm not really thinking about these words as I'm... As I'm uh, listening to the music, Truthfully. I'm enveloped in in the tone. But the tone is straightforward, and I think it it conveys rumination, frankly. It but, does, but I think that the rumination it conveys is solely from the music, and it's a little disappointing that the lyrics don't back it up. I feel like if the lyrics and the inflection... The lyrics do back it, back it up, but they're not... Well, the inflection. The like, inflection is not strong that's, enough. That's where it is. I think it was going for a more... Because when I think contemplative, I think more along the warm end of things. Uh he's viewing the past here always in my head it's it's someone that's gone and even if it's sadness or happiness there is a general haze i kind of associate with that kind of forlorn nature having it colder just makes it a little bit more mechanical and kind of makes it more impersonal it takes away from that aspect of memories um i agree and it's it's why you know I had a lot more to say at the beginning of this track than I did the end. The end is kind of just status quo. Uh, well, and then it just also just kind of tapers off. It doesn't even really end. It, it, no, yeah. the ending, that's a big thing. I, I just hated how it kind of just stopped. Frankly, frankly, my issues come down to this. The melody was a little too slow and not... Rather, not too slow, because obviously they established their pattern here and i think a slow melody is the only thing that would fit but it was not in it did not have enough inflection in it to really grab me it's not powerful enough to rival the riff it could have risen it could have fallen it could have gone to those upper partials which are really great i could identify many moments in this in this melody where uh where certain 
certain liberties could have been taken, or just reached out in some way, especially during the final refrain, always in my head, which is probably one of the, one of the, the better examples of rumination. I mean, the, the words themselves define rumination. But then it just ends in, yeah, like you said, sort it of just in, a, in a poof. It just tapers off, yeah. But uh, I still say artistically, I guess it fits. But it's not as if, it's not as if rumination is really a, a bold thing to cover. I mean, contemplative tracks are, are a dime a dozen these days. But this is, as I gather at this point, since we're talking about a, an album called Ghost Stories, some sort of post-breakup. This is a post-breakup. Post-breakup affair, po- post-breakup longing. Well, yeah. And, well, and also, it. this track can also be looked at as, you know, Always in My Head can also be, like, in it, and it's not actually over yet, too. There's that kind of perspective I do believe it. it uh, there's moments here where I, I believe it dips back into into the past before it actually pulls you back again. Yeah. So, kind of as if, as if this has a, a, uh, a remin- reminiscent feel to it. Like, you're in the present as of the first track, and then suddenly you dip back. Which I think I'll uh, take that time to, to bring us into the second track, Magic, which is the single off of this album. The first single. There are several. There's there's multiple singles. Oh, By okay. now, because the album's no. been out long enough, there are several <laughs> singles. But this was the first one. <laughs> and so Magic is a song that I'm going to Intended attempt to, to, try, to try and defend... Um, which will be difficult because that's a task for this song. But we, I want to say up front, we are giving ourselves away up front. Here. But I want to I want to say right it from the beginning. Well, because it's relevant to my discussion of this track. Um, it starts off with a very very indicative drum machine hip hop beat that for me, knowing Coldplay, they don't really use a lot of that. It was intriguing. I'd actually heard the song before I'd heard the record. So the first time I'd heard this track, I thought, oh well, this is different. It almost has a hip hop vibe. Are we gonna get a little? Coldplay rapping, like I don't know, I didn't know quite where they were going. But I thought the same. I was intrigued by yeah. the, by the same two things. It, and had, it had a worthy premise here: just drum machine, drum machine, and bass, and that's all. And it was very thin, but not in a necessarily bad way in the beginning. It's just it's it's, it's mellow. Yeah, it's very mellow, and you know, it's it's the song is conveying this idea of you know acknowledging a magic within between two people, and also reflecting on how that magic is gone, but it's still magic. Well, let's and go further with that idea by just looking at the music itself, even though it's uh, even though it's pretty simple, just with those two instruments. We're all on 4-4 four, four here, but the outlier is the bass. It's kind of nice to hear a bass carrying the riff for once. Uh, there's no guitar presence. So, and it's a, it's a riff if you could call it that. It, again, it seems to kind of fall back on mixing meter. Hemiolas, I would probably call it. Roughly three for every two on the drum machine. But it spices it up and aligns every once in a while before falling out again. So these two instruments with two separate rhythms do have that power to kind of calm calm you and, and I'd say leave you a little bit bemused. But it's so thin on development, in my opinion, that I, I remembered why the single could never have really taken me anywhere on the radio because this is this was my first exposure to this album was this track. I found that to be the biggest issue in the chorus work, especially because the the vocals are speeding up here. There's being thin actually, on development, or well, being um, once again kind of cold using that rhythm machine, okay. but also thin in the development side. The verses I was much more amicable towards. Well, yeah, let's because not... <laughs> I like the way it was. His vocals are getting drawn out with a very. And thin is the only way to really explain it. Very thin layer of music on top of it. It does give it a more forlorn feeling. And I feel like it's it's meshing better than the previous track. Let's, 
but it was really it really was losing its cohesion in the in the chorus work. That's that's where things. Well, were I, I do apart. have the tiniest nitpick though on on the verse lyric work, and that was it's it's almost right up front here. They call it magic when I'm with you, and I notice the way he says that single line, he sort of tapers off the you a little bit in what I would almost call a Dylan-esque, uh, Bob Dylan-esque phrasing, or Bob Dylan-esque inflection. With you? Really, yeah, with you, and it like, cuts it off almost immediately, which I feel it was a little... I think it's, it's his voice trying to match that, that pared-down nature of the track, because the drum machine is so so light and concise and the bass is so light and concise so he feels his lyrics need to be so too it fits but as i said this leaves it a little bit thin for me not that i dislike um pared down tracks often they have the capacity a much greater capacity to to bring you in emotionally but there was something about this that i feel like it, it, it at least this intro i feel like it was hastened Hasten perhaps to be put together because it, it needed something it was missing some some bit of flair however pared down it could be i guess i mean also i don't want to just glaze over the the verse because while we'll get to the chorus which is what it is i really like this first verse i think it's simple sweet and to the point and while it may not be sung and there's a nitpick in how he sings it i really like this first verse call it magic call it true call it magic when i'm with you and i just got broken broken into two Still, I call it magic when I'm next to you. It's very sweet. It's very contemplative. It has the same it's... caliber of lyrics as that first, as the first track. I think of you. Yeah. I haven't slept. I think I do, but I don't forget. It's. I mean, it's. It's. It's simplistic, but it's poetic. It's. But it's not. Uh, I. I wouldn't say poetic. I Why would not? Say, because. Oh it's, no! It is poetic. Yeah, but it's. It's, but it's, a it's very... poetic by definition, but not. I. I don't see that. I see the, meter, the I see meter, I see rhyming. I'm not really seeing something to bring me into the story. Yeah. It's, it's like a third person uh, outline of what has happened, which, which is a little juvenile. I mean, it comes off a little juvenile. And, and all these things we're describing with these first two tracks are not unknown or unloved parts of Coldplay. I mean, they do pared down music. They do a lot of uh, very quick metered or uh well drawn out verses but quickly uh designed metered uh songs and lyrics but in this case i'm it's it's missing one of those elements or a couple of those elements really for me in what i am drawn to with coldplay because when you think of like uh the uh, scientists or clocks or something like that you can make the same exact claims but they would be compliments instead of complaints those are the sort of songs that really do have simplicity to them. Here, my biggest complaint is again the rhythm. I mean, I mean, this is kind of what I'm going to be drawn to in a lot of these earlier tracks. I just don't like this synth work. I think that's the the thing that's that's keeping it from becoming the rhythm earnest. got me. The rhythm got me in the beginning, uh, but it's true that I don't really the, the development of it is just. There's not enough. There's 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 a lack of texture I'm finding in the musical aspect, to drawing me into it the the way uh, earlier Coldplay did. All right, well let's uh, let's spin this around in a bit of a circle here because I do see, again I do see an artistic goal here, especially for this this thin atmosphere and it not really progressing. Although it does kind of at the end, but it's it's, it's gradual and I didn't feel like the framework 
could um, could support it. But when you're talking about the uh, the actual sub the substance, the meat of this track here and the subject matter, I I see I do kind of see his pain a little bit. Even though I'm calling it juvenileist, still it's not like there's not any pain in those lyrics. You see that just the same quote that you you, you described here. Uh, and I just got broken, broken into two. Still, I call up magic when I'm next to you. So does this if you've been hurt, but of course it doesn't hurt where your former uh, affections lay. That doesn't, I mean, it just leaves you a little bit broken, but it doesn't hurt your love, as it were. I sort of see a stagnancy in here, like he's unwilling to kind of face the truth. And that's it gets, in the it chorus. Gets developed, it gets developed quite a bit more later, yeah. No, the, no, um, no, that right there, the can't face the truth, that's the chorus. The re- Five repetitions of and I don't. Right back to rumination, of course. And I don't, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't. <laughs> which, again, from a musical perspective, I think is a little bit, a little bit dulling. But I see where it comes from when you're, when you're zoning out. When you're zoning out and you're kind of having trouble facing the facts and i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't want anybody else but you but of course you know that it's it's uh it's it's all for naught at this point because it's pretty apparent that that uh he's been cheated on right but well also the thing is with the way that these lyrics are repeated like that i mean i understand the i mean because i'm there with you with how thin the chorus is but the fact that I mean, what was the line that you just said? Oh, I don't want anybody. I don't. I don't. I don't want anybody else by you. I know from personal experience in points of extreme heartbreak, sometimes it's cathartic and comforting to just repeat things to yourself over and over and over and over again. And I think that's what that's conveying. Sure, which is why I'm bringing that yeah, up. Like I catharsis. see, I see the idea there. If I had a problem with that from the musical perspective, I think it's only because he, he doesn't. There's not a lot of emotion in that it seems it to be inf- so fl- the, the, dull that it i mean there granted there's defense for this too you could be sitting there and just kind of trying to casually speak your way back into believing this this vain concept or you could be feeling numb from the heartbreak numb, and you're numb still works too you're so you're blankly repeating it to yourself this, just this whole entire track has a very numb feel to it which so is i think a- i think it has a pretty good good foundation i just think musically it's it it's one of those cases which we're coming up a lot with lately where it goes so close to the artistic side that I don't think it really makes for a really intriguing track music. And see, I think for me, well, musically, I mean, can be argued that, like, I could see where, where why you would feel it's... It's all concept yes, is my problem. But I like the concept enough, and seeing more of it now, it's actually found where I, where I think I like this song. The fact that it's a song called Magic... But it's sung from such a numb perspective, it's almost, which is almost the antithesis of this beautiful magic. I know, it's Really later kind too. of supports the song for me, it's personally. It's supported later as well. Call it magic, cut me into two. Kind of the same idea here. And with all your magic, I disappear from view. So it's, again, that feeling of sort of loneliness, even though you're An supposed to be part of something, but you're not really. It's not, it's not involving. So I see the emotional core of this track. I really, really do. But... Again, I just think it was a little too thin for me personally from the musical perspective. And that's coming from a Coldplay fan. Like, I, I know and love Coldplay for their ability to do these kind of tracks. And a lot of uh, what they do is they're known for being pretty pared down. The harmonies here, I think, are parts of some of the, the, the best parts of the build. And it does pick up quite a bit at the end. The guitars join in with the, the whole post-rock effect. 
But then it seems a little too large at the end for the premise. It, it, it swells and has the character of magic having come into your life, which I think cont contrasts with the steadiness of this. It like, maybe off, it should have gone the exact opposite it, it direction. It comes off and, as, as not a good kind of a swelling, and not a, a building up of something, but really... <sighs> I mean, you, you could I'm, also I'm, argue I'm that this is... I'm trying to find the right word, but... No, you could Inflammation? Also... I mean, it's... it's well, it, it could also be this idea know. that this, this, the swell is this forced swell. Like, he's trying to force himself that's to find exactly this magic what that's I was not there at. anymore. But that's that's that becomes... Uh, that, that lends credence, uh, credence to uh, Steve's argument of... It might be going a little bit too art choices as opposed to musical choices and, in this case. And I think that comes down to a more personal preference because I like those art choices and I typically don't. But in this case, I really think those art choices support the song and is probably why I like it as much as I do. Which I couldn't explain or put my hands on before, but I think is really clarified. It's a unique concept. Um, I'm surprised, actually, that that was able to sort of get single-worthy considering that so many people in the, uh, the single avid single audience i don't mean people who are single though that may be a freudian slip considering this subject anywho people who like singles usually like things that are out there really you know flashing lights lots of colors and yet this track was it somehow able to grab them by being so thin so i i, I guess that's a um it's a surprising thing to me but it's not a bad thing to me i guess that people are, were some people were somehow able to find their own softer side and accept this track because it's everywhere it is. It, it has actually gained quite a bit of popularity. This and one of the later tracks on the album. Um, let's head on to track three, Ink. Um, tattoo metaphors, anybody? So, this one... here. So, while I was the first to say in Magic that I was intrigued and actually quite enamored with that hip-hop beat, and I enjoyed it, and it pulled me in even though it didn't do the same for you two, I will say by the time we get to Ink now, and we have another very basic stripped down hip hop rhythm I'm, now I'm starting to get a little tired of it the magic has worn off this waka I waka. this I felt like instead of trying to be so parred down I think they're trying to be so parred down while adding clutter yeah it's it's that was my exact of, experience with instead this. of instead of creating a more intriguing rhythm it's just an aborted attempt well this because song, it's just falling back on what well we first of all this heard. didn't have that interesting dual rhythm that the previous track no. did it, it was a very basic like you know one a two and three and four one a two and three and four one a two and three and four progressively that's all the drum machine does for for the the good first half of this track pretty much and I mean maybe it's taste but that's just really boring to me, considering the previous interesting rhythms that we did have. That's very basic. That's, you know, again, a dime a dozen. You can find it in any pop track out there that is built off of a drum machine. Um, so, yeah, that's the driving force in tracks one and two. Simply is not here. More boring than that, though, was the riff, which, based on a major scale, you're kind of going from a six to a five to a seven to a one. And... It didn't really even seem to have that, that chordal fill-out. It seemed to just be those particular intervals on the scale, and I couldn't get past it. It has the effect, especially in major, of being really, really sweet and somewhat nauseatingly sweet. On top it's, of that, we get the busy instrumentation. This is a lot of the synth, clutter, A lot of right synth, here. a lot of acoustic guitar. The layering. And yes, to agree with you earlier, yeah. John, I feel like here it tried to do a lot with nothing. 
Yeah, it's just it. It's and it's throwing. It's taking a bucket full of things, throwing them at the wall, and sees what sticks. And that doesn't always work. It's just it ends up being a little contrived and a little cluttered. And the backbeat of this basic drum machine doesn't give you any interest. At least that dual drum and bass that you had in in the second track is intriguing. There's because something you, to it. Yeah, there's texture changes. There's something to play well, off of Well, there are each texture other. changes here. Well, no, I Again, mean, my that, issue here is with the foundation. And frankly, yeah. I'm looking at the lyrics and I don't really see an artistic defense. Well, see, that's, no. that's, 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 that's another, where we're really struggling. That's here. the other two things. One is, it's a, it's not... The candor. I like the candor. I like, uh, I like you know, being honest. This is kind of on the nose with the metaphors. More so even than magic. At least magic with the cl- short clipped verses, it was, it was fun and did work with the layering of the thinness of the music. Here, the vocals are not married to the, the verses any, uh, to the uh, music anymore. The verses are just completely falling off what the music's actually doing. Well, the words are... He's cramming a lot of ideas together in these verses, and they're not... They're not really working for that. Well, the first verse also has more impact... Like, whenever you have more impact from a verse reading it than you do hearing it sung, that's a major problem. I mean, the first verse has got a tattoo... That was my problem with the previous track, you have to understand, is, like, without the the defense, you know, behind magic that we clearly heard when we read. I'm not sure I would really pick that up. I would just say, here's a really thin, straightforward single. So, that, you know, that almost makes me go back a bit on that track. But, I don't know. Tell, tell me your piece on this. So, um, the first verse is, Got a tattoo that said, Together through life, carved in your name with my pocket knife, and you wonder when you wake up, will, will it be, be alright? Right? <laughs> Feels like something broken inside. I mean, you can get a sense of the pain and harshness in this song, but, you know... It, yeah, but what is this, a country song? I mean, this is... Okay, yeah, I got your... I gotta shave off the tattoo. Eh. <laughs> and here's... here's these, these, these are these are not very... Uh, how, to, how to phrase this? These are not very in, in, insightful um, portraits, I think, of of the breakup. I think these are very... Tried and true. Yeah, you know, everybody can see like, this. Well, that's the, that is the giant metaphor. We were just talking about metaphors earlier on. That is the big metaphor. Yes, me me ripping this tattoo off is a metaphor for me trying to cut you out of my life, in a sense. It's just so on the nose that, you know, it's really hard for me to kind of get into that, be like, yeah, I feel you, man, as if I haven't really felt that from any of the previous Heartbreak songs in the past 30, 40 years. And then there is another thing... Um bringing all of our issues together with this song with all the clutter of the music that's going on and with the way his vocals are actually divorced there is some accenting and comping with the electronic layers that really just starts driving me crazy in the song i'm trying to figure out what they're trying to do there's another song later on that that goes even further with this but here it's it really feels like the 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 hammer without the nail trying to get these vocals to fit to the music. There's no force tr- really putting them together besides just the blunt idea of let's harmonize with something. I agree. And and this is just this is just it's driving me nuts. I cannot understand why. 
By the way, looking at this track, I, I do want to correct one thing, though. I do not believe there's, there's any hint that this is about ripping the tattoo off. This is all yeah, about the tattoo. Carving her name in. Calling yeah. her, carving yeah, her yeah, tattoo. Yeah, I was wondering where you were going with that. No, yeah, my mistake. Um, carved in your name with my pocket knife. But the thing is, I, I thought this was leading to, you know, taking it off. But mm-hmm. I, I may have superimposed that at some point. But the problem is that I... I I guess at that point it's really more about just sort of living with the tattoo because I don't I don't really, I don't see a time frame here of whether the carved carved in your name with my pocket knife was done recently because and you wonder when you wake up will it be all right feels like there's something broken inside I, I, time frame would help well and also this song is just a little scatterbrained it's just kind of yeah got a, got a tattoo and then and the pain's all right which is actually where I was um uh. I was inferring that there was that it was taken off at that point, but it just one a way to, of keeping you inside. I think it's just a matter of living with it. Actually, that might be one of my least favorite lyrics on the entire album. Really, a tattoo is p- purely a superficial thing, yet he's talking about getting a tattoo to keep her inside. Well, it's just no, being that's metaphoric. Just, no, that's just being a poor metaphor. That is. Purely a poor <laughs> metaphor. Let me get something so superficial, only skin deep as a tattoo, to keep you in my heart. I mean, actually, you're that's making, just ridiculous. It's a pretty good point, but I, 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 I hesitate to be that nitpicky, especially with a with um, with this well, no, caliber of lyrics that hasn't really brought me in. You know, I guess I'm the showing outset. the low point of it though. That's okay, one of no, the worst no, little things. Come on, he's not even getting his metaphors, like. To evoke an, a kind but, of I idea. Mean, come on, though. I can make like a stretch for that. Just want a way of keeping you inside. It, perhaps that's just on. He, he he understands the point of it. The point, perhaps, is that he knows that's false. Keeping you just with one, me would have summed that up so much better. But the fact that it is keeping you inside, sort of. I get that rumination feel, the idea that he's telling himself lies, because he knows that's not going to keep her inside. How could a superficial thing possibly do that? I don't see them actually going for the depth in this song, though. With that one line, I do, frankly. Yeah, I would disagree. Um, also, the fact that he's playing off the idea that... Disagree with me or him? <laughs> with John. I'm on your side on this one, Steve. It's, it's also with, the, with a lot of these lyrics, even though I'm not a huge fan of them, I do get the point... Also, yes, sometimes we want depth in our love lyrics. You know, we want this deep, deep rumination. But truth be told, people aren't always big thinkers when they go through a heartbreak. Sometimes it's you're broken down to your rawest of emotions and your simplest of thoughts because you can't actually... I, for one, like instrumentals <laughs> during my heartbreaks. Well, okay, if you're, but if you're ta- tackling it from that way, you can be incredibly simple... But there has been lyrics that we've discussed where it's just simple noun, verb, adverb combinations. Three words, four words. And yet we can look at it at face value, get one meaning, and then just start peeling back the layers. You don't have to be deep or complicated to say a lot. These aren't saying a lot to Well, me. that, I think, is also because of the inflection and the music that doesn't back it up. I think it's the total package that really hurts it. It's not just the lyrics. All right, well, let's see if the next track fits that or not. True Love, as if that couldn't seem any more on the nose. So this, at this point, I'm tired of the beat machine. It's become a cliche. 
it's been very samey and very repetitive. There are this other one, there are other reasons why this track also seems to be reminiscent of the previous. It's in the same key and it has some of the same kind of tinny uh, instrumentation. The sort of I noticed the most interesting part, frankly, in this track is that it pa- it has this one chord where it passes to an E diminished chord where it kind of clenches everything up for just a bit. But that's about it. Other than that, it has the same overall feel, the kind of tinny, high-end, high-range instrumentation. When it does get a little more interesting, it's still nauseatingly sweet. But, no, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, because this song does build. It takes a while to build. It takes about half the actual track to really start get going. But then... Well, okay, you got really cliché drums. This may be the most cliché. I mean, it's got a little bit of a clap machine going to it. It's up there. But beyond that, violins that come in. I want to say one other thing about that that drum box there. Beyond drum box, which I've been saying drum machine, drum machine throughout this entire record so far, at this moment, I would almost liken it to straight-up beatboxing because it's the kind of thing that actually could just be done with a single person if he was a, a, a halfway decent beatboxer. Sort of, again, a hip-hop, smooth R&B backdrop, but in anywhere's R&B world. So, yeah, rhythm-wise, this is just not not grabbing me. Yeah. I mean, the but, whole... But, but, and I gotta harp on this, the violins, when they come in about a minute and a half, two minutes in, and actually and start actually start accenting and actually start completing the rest of the... Uh, the melody that was kind of non-existent for this song, when they actually start harmonizing with the vocal work, it gets really good. It Extremely does. good. It, 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 this is what I kind of wanted from the beginning of this song. Something that was actually complementing what's going on there. That was filling it out. That was flushing it out. But keeping that simplicity that... All right. That was there. That was well. Even the earlier earlier portion of this track has one good moment that I think uh, sort of foreshadows the. Um, the big turnaround here, and that is in the chorus. Simply tell me you love me. It's the big, that first phrase in the chorus is one of the most earnest moments that we had yet on the album, where he does reach his vocals kind of shine there, and they the melody itself seems to match that single line. Tell me you love me, and then if you don't, then lie, lie to me. Kind of tapers off here melodically, but at least we have that moment to kind of hook me, which made me very. Um, very open-eared for that big turnaround. And yes, that a lot of that has to do with the strings, although believe it or not, the strings were there earlier too, but they were barely noticeable because the melody didn't seem to seem to fit it. I think the big thing here is when the guitars step in and they have the same character of the guitars from earlier, which is sort of that post-rock style guitars, um, used more, you know, more as color than as, uh, than as a driving rhythm guitar or 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 anything else it's, it's it's all color and it has a lot of reverb on it generally it's it's one of the more alluring emotional instruments or instrumental uh textures on this album to a slightly lesser extent the electric guitar solo although i hesitate to call it that now this is toward the sort of toward the end of this track where we have that upward bend and it's the first time we hear a guitar in this particular style I was kind of down when it first showed up, although I was not so pleased on where it went. Because, because then it bends down to this slightly dissonant note. On, a, on a, I think it fell on that same diminished chord from earlier. But that's that was the moment where I sort of started to question its direction. And sure as hell, 
it just repeated the same exact phrase over again, and I think that pretty much proves it had no direction to begin with. So that that's where I started question. This this guitar was just not didn't really belong in this track. Yeah, the but guitar solo seemed, came it seemed bizarre and arbitrary. The guitar solo came out of nowhere. It was sudden, and it was repetitive in this small phrase where it came in. It it was out of place, and the fact that they had such an interesting sound because the guitar kind of warbled when it first started. It was it sounded almost as if it was a little bit out of tune. But then, it, so it sounded like it was going to go into an interesting place. But then all it does is repeat the same phrase that it started with. It's like, why bother then? It's not even a solo at that point. It's got the it's got three no, it aspects, wasn't. and I think any one of these three removed would have done much more to bring the guitar in. Yes, it was sudden. Yes, it was repetitive. And yes, it was dissident. If one of those three was removed from the equation, I think it would have fit with this song very well. You're probably right with that. I think that's a pretty good summation of where it um and and even there's, there's where it could have fallen. Not even the there's 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 lyrics here. I want to quote too. This song has parts of it that are beautiful word wise. Remember once upon a time when I was yours and you were blind. The fire would sparkle in your eyes and mine. That is pretty sweet. That's a beautiful sentiment. That that is a, a phrasing that can easily go to this title true love but it gets lost in everything else that's going on yeah the 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 first repetition so tell me you love me and you don't and if you don't then lie lie to me that i i really enjoy it but upon because this is a track of denial over and over i mean over first again, of all we know this is a track of denial because we already kind of have a setup earlier in this album um but of course that the line that you mentioned it's it's not sweet because it's because it's true love it's sweet because it's it's obviously not when i remember once upon a time when i was yours and you were blind i mean clearly there is there's a premise here that something was wrong for the get-go from the get-go but he has an overly nostalgic attachment to it a a disruptive uh destructive attachment to it and that's what he's going through earlier on this album remember just as i said uh, earlier, this 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 album is not chronological. It seems to dip into various stages of the past that that illuminate where he is now, which is not a good place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, this song had potential to be a good package, but it's just the parts don't really connect well enough, and it ends up falling short. It. And I wouldn't even say good. I would say great. It could have been a great song, but it was dragged down by the pit bits here and there and the chunk in the front the beginning half of this song just it stayed there for a little bit too long or maybe even a lot of it too long you mean the earlier half yeah no yeah i agree it's it's a it's a slow build i mean there's really hardly anything of a build and if it wasn't for open ears and an objective demeanor you probably wouldn't notice how great this song did get yeah yeah that's for sure. And also, another thing I have to note is, is vocal work, especially in in the interlude right after the swings, the, the st- swings, the strings. Excuse me, when they swell, when they get really grand, the vocals step in and they just take off. This is some of the best vocal work on the album in terms of just background noise. They're not saying any particular lyrics, just sort of ahs and 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 moans and wails. And I, I, I this is either just uh, just prior or just after, um, the. The refrain, so tell me you love me, and if you don't, then lie. Lie to me. And this this repeats over and over again. 
going right back to rumination. So you have a lot of connectivity theme-wise here. Yeah, well, there was no question of that, I think, at this point. <laughs> that that They're kind of beating you over the head with the theme at this juncture. For sure. But I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more uh, I think, uh, admissive of it when we get some integration here with the music. Right. And when the vocals take off like that, I, I feel something. I'm not sort of, don't leave your audience in the dark. I think that's really the, the biggest moral that I'm, I'm attaching to my issues with, with magic. If this is if this is a rumination album, this is the first time we're hitting upon a powerful memory. Bam. Yeah. That's it. So then we go into Midnight, track five, which, yeah, we bring back a drum box, but this time we have some texture. Mimics more of a vibraphone, kind of that sort of feel in 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 the in the mallet instrument brand of uh. You, you, I get that vibe personally. It's very warm. Very heavy reverb on the vocals also. Uh, harmonies right up front here. Most, more interesting melodies, I think, at this point, even though the melodies uh, don't seem to have that classic, that classic rhythmic fit. They seem to kind of meander around, and the only thing, the only thing that, that may be a dark spot on this, this selection of great melodies, great harmonies, that's almost a cappella, frankly, it, it, at least it would be a cappella if it weren't for the backbeat, um, which uh, the backbeat is, is it's driving, it's steady, it's really just eighth notes solidly throughout the song. So I'm inclined almost to dismiss it and just leave it as a cappella. But as I said, this would only be, I mean, this would be a perfect melody harmony integration if it wasn't for the fact that there may be a little hint of auto tuning going on. Not even a little. There's a lot. Yeah, in moments oh, of the song, oh, there are a lot. Let's not sugarcoat it just because you are actually a fan of the song. There's quite a bit of auto tune, especially in the earlier parts. Um, it it tends to take more of a lean towards the Daft Punk style of auto tune towards the end of the song, but very early on, it's kind of this very it heavy. Does. It's, it's, got, that, it's got that Daft Punk uh, vocalizer. Yeah, and that's exactly what what he's using here. It adds an interesting character yeah, to I mean, the it singing. May be, it may be in post production though here, as opposed to well, then again, who knows? Daft most, Punk may also be in post production. Yeah, most a lot of times they, they do do it in, uh, live though, so maybe. Well, you can use a vocalizer live. I mean, that's easy enough to do. Exactly. Anyway. I did not enjoy that beat that you enjoy. I, think I found I it can to dismiss be... it. I really can dismiss it just because of the fact that it's so steady and it, it kind of keeps you in a, in a zoned the, out state. It fades into but the background. It, yeah. uh, for me, it just stayed a little bit too heavily in the forefront. I could not dismiss it. I couldn't get away from it. It's pervasive, but it's not incessive. Yeah. It, and that's, I'm going to say, it, for me, it was a little too, a little bit too incessive. I mean, it was a little bit too much for me. Well, we have contention. But, In any case. but there is some some expansion work with the uh, electronic piano, I guess it was. Or an electronic organ. Um, I, that we was have, a little bit... of a piano that takes it over It becomes here, sure. expansive, and it does add a lot of texture to what's going on here. This is usually done between uh, the vocal uh, expositions. But... Really, like that just showed how lackluster the rest of it was to me. When when these layers are falling off, when 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 these accents are are missing, it, I I feel everything else just becomes hollow. The beat work, the the melody that was developing was 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 just gone for me. I realize that I'm painting a fine line here between my experience with magic and my experience with this track, but I define that line with a simple word, earnesty. 
this track, it somehow it is able to convey the fact that it is midnight. Let's look at just a few lyrics here. In the darkness before the dawn, in the swirling of the storm, when I'm rolling with the punches and hope is gone, leave a light, a light on. These lyrics, even though I'm not particularly paying attention, although perhaps you should because of the fact that they're, they, I, I express them as, as acapella a little bit, they're, at least when you read them, they are alluring, and frankly, I don't need the words to even tell me that, that this setting is going on right now. I feel it. I feel that I'm there, and I think that steadiness, that, that tick of the vibraphone, steadily on eighth notes throughout the entire track, that, that is enough to kind of zone me out in that, in that realm as you are pretty much before you fall asleep in the well, dark before the dawn. Well, also it's giving you this sense of uh, um, loneliness in the dark by yourself at that moment at midnight when you realize you are all alone. But, but I'm not done. Okay. But also, what really sells this track is when he shuts up. As much as I like his singing, but I'm not a huge fan of the auto-tune, when he quiets down and the synth, the heavy synth comes in and does this great work, like the instrumentation in this middle part of the song is one of my favorite parts of the whole song. Middle of the end. Well, the, the middle the middle towards the end. Like the middle when, yeah. to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have moments before that that are still just as good. For instance, yes, when he stops doing the verse work, uh, we have sort of a vocal interlude. And this is... I, I have a feeling it might be repeating the, the, the phrases leave a light, a light on, leave a light, leave a light on. Although it may also be more just ahs and oohs and various other non-word vocal stuff. But it really takes off, especially after that piano enters in. It just swells, lifts off. It seems to be distant, but it just overtakes you in, in the sheer scope of it. They head up to the upper partials here, and they do all that stuff that I wanted out of both the first and the second track. An expansive uh, melody, although this is an interlude. It, it, it is so powerful, and I would liken it, I would liken the mood of this to uh, one particular band that I, I, I know for doing this kind of thing, and that's M83. And that's also because of the, the overall techno feel of this. And not the overbearing, uh, predictable techno feel, as we've been getting with previous drum machine works. This is not in the same field. First right. of all, they completely changed up the texture. That vibraphone feel separates it completely. I wouldn't even put it in the same, in the same ballpark. But it's, it's funny that you notice this rhythm as being annoying, because it, in, in truth, yes, it is a lot steadier. But it's so steady that it is the backdrop. It almost serves as ambient, even though it has a steady rhythm. You follow me? Yeah. Well, and also... Because the brain has a tendency to, to ignore things that are that they accept after a while. Well, and yeah, and then to further the MAD3 comparison is the part that I was talking about right after this. Of course. Where these heavy synths come in that are very, very much what, what MAD3 is known for. And Coldplay is doing something very similar. Yeah, this is here, here the techno edge of this track kind of kicks up. You have full-on 16th notes instead of, uh, instead of 8th notes. It's no longer a vibraphone. Instead, we get this pitter-patter, sort of a production masterpiece. And the, the pitter-patter is made up of more of the 80s-era synth tones. Kind of like an 80s computer age feel. And that, that pitter-patter is, is sort of brings that out also. But these things, these... <sighs> Little bits and boops, you know. I like the complexity... Of the latter like half. Saying. Yeah, I do. I did like that. It was everything else around it 
<laughs> that was not making me happy. All right, You're then talking, let's, let's okay, talk about no, the tail. I'm gonna go, no, let's talk go. about the tail end, though. No, because I'm, after I'm that, talk it about does go how... back to the verse one more time, and how are you with that? I'm still not happy with it. One, the auto-tune. Oh, and a there's a bracket. reason. There's a reason I've got a problem with the auto-tune, is that everything is screaming loneliness except that vocal work. Having it almost doubling himself does not say lonely it does not give you that midnight feel for me frankly I it's do think actually it, taking it out it's making him feel a part of something different i think it introduced somewhat of a of a dreamlike feel that's what i was going to say i think that that auto-tune kind of gives this surreal insanity of being alone at night and being stuck with your salt thoughts exactly and I it also see, see musically the... musically that auto-tune provides that sort of electric edge although so does the vibraphone that bleeds perfectly into, into that big synth-instrumental. Yeah. Uh, synth synth-instrumental, synth yeah. I'm but coining it's... that term. I think I coined it like episodes ago, but I'm coining uh, it again. Okay. But all these things, all the things you're you're saying that, that, you, that are just screaming the exact opposite to me. They're actually divorcing me from what I guess gather is the concept of this song. That loneliness, that, that trying to find your way home. That's what he's speaking of. And these are words that I can clearly hear. That's what certain aspects of the song are screaming and other aspects are screaming the opposite to me. It's it's a duality that's just not meshing together in this song. Loneliness plus uh, complexity plus togetherness plus simplicity. There's just so many different factors here that I don't think are flowing together. I think you're being overly analytical. No, I'm saying that's, it's amazing that's why how it's not the, working the... for me. That's why. There's just too much duality. I like duality. I like duality when it's done as a compliment to itself or when it's done ironically, but I'm not seeing either of those things here. I mean, you really want ironic out of this? Because this is, to well, me, no, a no. fairly straightforward concept. But I'm saying, like, the duality here is not, is what's actually divorcing the pieces together. It's what's keeping things from meshing. Which duality? I want you to outline that again. The simplicity of the music in the, the actual sung parts, trying to convey loneliness with his vocal work that's... In the first kind of, half, in that's the, doubling a, the A and, section of, because yeah, this is a very clear A, B kind of thing. And that his voice is doubling and, and almost tripling with the... Uh, uh, what's it called? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, modulation that's keeping it from being a, a cohesive piece. And then it's just, when you get complicated, yeah, it's beautiful. There's a lot going on here. But that's really at odds with the music that was in the verses, that was in the choruses. See, I, you see so much separation here where I yeah, just I simply don't. don't. I mean, to me, for, at least as a record on this album, this is one of the most tightly constructed albums thus far. I mean, it's a tightly constructed tracks thus far. Because previous tracks, we had many instances where where it was clashing with, uh, where you know perhaps the artistic concept was clashing with the overall emotion, or we might have a defense that works on paper but doesn't really make it a great song and whatnot. I feel like this could be taken on both levels equally, and the fact that you don't get that from just a slight little bit of auto tuning, I don't know. No, I feel it's... like. I feel like that's that's the utmost of nitpicking. No, no, it's I'm not. No, I can't. I can't. It's not nitpicking because this was the choice he made. Instead of just keeping his voice singular, he made his voice more than himself. 
he he did that doubling effect. At the end of the day, it's a production flourish, which I I I I I don't need. I mean, I I accept the various needs for artists and for production masters to put a little bit of flair in tracks where needed. Like, for instance, I think that could have helped in Magic. I think Magic was was so thin that it needed exactly this little thing to give it that extra edge. Perhaps without this, I would have felt that this track was too thin. And that's, that's where... That's, that's where... That, that's, I think, where it comes down to our disagreement. I think that it, it was just not the instrument to add to his voice. Because there's also something else I'm not describing, and that's, uh, that's the, the caliber of that auto-tune. He's not flat-out auto-tuning his voice, and Coldplay has never been, as far as I'm concerned, has never been known it's for using auto-tune It's a minor modulation. It's a modulation and more of a phasing. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And the phasing actually really works, on, especially on headphones. I mean, it's, it takes you up and down with the tonalities of the, of the notes that are present. And those notes are really quite well harmonized between I don't know if he's uh, doubling himself or whether he's uh, like he or is. whether it's a backing band member I'm not positive but um, but the phasing works between that that voice leading going on right there it just it kind of binds them together for me and that's that's where I'm going to just disagree right. I think that's, that's I think where... at this point we're talking in circles yeah. about this song we no, should move no, on to are, the next but, track um, because you're both essentially at complete opposite ends. Yeah. And I'm more towards where Steve is, so we can just argue this back and forth. So, right. let's... so this is probably some of the contention that will rise up in anyone else who listen to this song. Uh, but let's see how that works with the next track, Another's Arms. So here's where we get to one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, Another's Arms, first of all... Uh, starts with this great, beautiful and breathy intro with these beautiful female vocals that are just kind of almost like this heavenly right voice. away. That's unique. You yeah, don't really it's hear fair. female we haven't vocals heard that in Coldplay a lot. It's, it's sort of like a. It's acoustic. That's something to note as well. I don't know. It's not acoustic. I mean, there's a lot. There's this pretty no. heavy synth going on beneath, but it does it feel. It takes a while for that synth to come in. I don't believe there's any point in which this vo- in the, the the female vocal is is completely solitary no um i mean even when i used the acoustic or there was a little bit of synth that added added the breathy airness you, you're trying it. to say acapella not acoustic because no 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 i'm not talking about the vocals i'm talking about the instrumentation from the first chords it's got a much warmer feel to it because the 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 rhythm is not being is is not just a beat machine in this case that actually gets introduced after a few measures and gets integrated with something that's already created with just pure warm acoustic work so and you for heard that, acoustic guitar was that it yeah okay and that is one of the most appealing things for this introduction the fact that they did not start in such a cold place but instead took that cold rhythm machine that they've been using and integrated it into that's a much true. warmer but tone i will confess though that that acoustic guitar didn't really grab me so much only because it kind of had a very sort of standard basic four chord progression the thing that really drew me i mean that that was sort of like i could brush it off i agree that yes the fact that it's acoustic is is different for this album but the thing that got me was the the female vocals and that's like a it's like a siren song is how i would describe it it's in the background it's very airy and i would almost say it it's a little ancient in quality yeah well when you really think of like a siren song you have to go back to the the 
core of the sirens with Homer's Odyssey and whatnot. And the the that little phrase that she repeats does have a melody that strikes me as almost ancient. It has like ancient Greek uh, origins, just a little bit. It, it's very separate in this album. It doesn't feel like it's derived from from any of the scales they've been using so far. It's, it's a little bit uh, wider intervals. And after this, after the um, the female chorus, once the the meat of the song starts, and you get um, the lead, the Coldplay's lead singer, whose name escapes me, um, actually starting to sing his vocals, you get this sense of even though the song isn't particularly stereotypically depressing, the notes and the configuration of the song at this point gives this kind of dripping emotional gloom over the whole state of the song it's it, very, we're it not sounds getting... kind of mystical but very sad in the process yes it's not and it's not what he's saying because there's a lot of candor here it's his presentation is so much more heartfelt than the vocals because we're not getting heavy imagery here but it's more like it, it feels personal late night watching tv used to be you here beside me used to be your arms around me your body on my body. That is personal. This is talking about an actual event idea as opposed to just love is pretty. I think the lyrics or, themselves... I miss you. It's, it's, it's the point of view of this is that event. This is that idea. This is that moment when I miss you most. When I can't hold you in my arms. And not just hold you in my arms, but... That thing sure. we used to do—it's that personal loss. Sure, but the lyrics themselves—they they convey that. But I, that wouldn't—that that alone wouldn't grab me if it wasn't because for the it's fact. Because the presentation is so not emotional. Not just the presentation of the lyrics; it's the fact that it goes back and forth between that that siren song because she's clearly the subject matter. I mean, at least she's presented as such. But she's in the distance, and she feels like she's unattainable, which is, I guess, the whole concept of the siren is that it sort of is luring you in but you know you have to go on the island in order to get there and it seems so distant and something that you'll probably never do so i think he's painting the, this concept of all the things that she he used to used to do with her used to imagine and it's 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 just it's a figment at this point it's no longer it's no longer real and, that and that's that's that hollow vo female vocal is 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 presenting that it's almost as if she is just a character. Between that and the sound bites that they use in this song, it conveys this hollowness all around that adds to that gloomy nature. This fact of kind of dwelling on this fantasy that's slowly floating floating away and disappearing. I don't see it as hollow though. I I'm not saying it's it's not great or anything like that. I'm not I'm not complaining about anything. I see death. I see falling down into something. Uh, I, I see a like in what thickness, in what portion of just the music thickness. Just the way the piano is used in conjunction with uh, uh, some some of the weird phasing that they use with the electronics. The the depth the the and uh, more. Well, I'll identify more a couple of other things. Chord structure with the guitar and the bass complimenting instead of being eh. at odds with a lot eh. of its electric work. Actually, chord progression to me in this track, is, you've dumped a lot on me here, and the chord progression is a little weak, to be frank. Um, beneath that, at like that actually provided a framework that was a little bit tough for me to get into if it wasn't for the fact that the lyrics seemed to blend with the female vocalist. And those are actually the two 
core things that are bind me together with this track. The rest of it, uh, there's only a few other things that are just intriguing, but they're intriguing in the same way that any passing uh, instrumental quirk might be intriguing. Like, for instance, the most interesting soundbite was the, the sort of deep bass bend on the synth just prior to the chorus where everything seems to warble a little bit and dip down and dip back up again but it's 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 really on the low end that to me was kind of interesting but i didn't really see how that was useful i think in the long run i mean not to sound harsh but that was a very small portion of this track and it didn't go come back to it very frequently um and this no i'm seeing some some instrumentation that's like pouring syrup on top of the vocal work that's thickening it up so that it's really hitting a more impactful level It seemed for constrained me. by the progression, which is why I, I can't swoon over this track with the same intensity as you guys. It's a, it's a good track, uh, but that chord progression seemed to constrain it a little bit. It, it felt a little it felt a little limited in that mm, sense. I feel like, like it, it just added just to the overall. Uh, I, don't th I think that you're being a little nitpicky about that chord progression. I think it's a good blend. Well, we've, all got, we've all got our gripes here. so We're all being <laughs> and, um, nitpicky. You know, all about that one thing. In any case, we do have one thing here that, that previous tracks, well, that one track tried to give us, but previous tracks generally do not, and that is a certifiable guitar solo over yes. the female vocals somewhat uh, two-thirds of the way through this track. And that was pretty solid. Yeah. That I had no nitpicks about, and I just kind of enjoyed it as one would a otherwise not overly impressive but generally favorable guitar solo. It just fit the mood, and that's basically all you can ask for at that moment. I would agree. On to Oceans, track seven. So right off the get-go, you get these sweeping strings that automatically give you an environment, a setting... The, the song from the first handful of bars gives you this swaying back and forth motion of the music. You're really building a setting quite quickly um, before you even get any lyrics. The guitar doth toll. It's that kind of an idea of an outside... The guitar is, is kind of like a ringing bell in the background for the lighthouse or something like that. I don't know. There's there's imagery actually in an instrument. Ah, ah, and gotta, that's what's great. Gotta enter here, though. God put a smile upon your face. Yes. This track, I mean, if anyone recalls, older Coldplay, that goes back to uh, Rush of Blood to the Head, I believe. Yeah. Two, I want to say. Um, either second or third track. Because I love that album. Well, at least most of it. That is what I heard out of this chord progression. So yes, the guitar doth toll, but it tolls something I know. And it was a little bit repetitive but, to me, for, but didn't help, of course, that but, fact that I listened to that track recently. There was little accenting in a, you said Sputnik, I said a radio wave beat. That was changing it up because it wasn't completely present or pervasive, but it was adding it was little bits of momentary, uh, momentary texture to these waves that are being built with the instruments. Um, oh, this is all this is all melody here, and yeah. it's all the quality of the melody as well, and that's where this this track kind of took on a similar character. I'm but only that, I'm a, I mean a, a more unique character because that weird paralleling radio beat on top of that guitar adds a very <laughs> slow, heart beating rhythm to it. It's funny that's funny because that's so... the that's the tiniest little observation here, and yet it does add quite a little um, flavor. It 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 yeah. does something for me, and that's cement the idea that this melody is lonely. You know how I describe it? We, it we, we, were, we were talking about this before, and, and I 
originally likened it to sort of like Sputnik beeping yeah. from from the sky, but actually I think more appropriate, especially like that we're talking about. That's what I was gonna say. It's more like sonar because we're talking about oceans here, and it sounds like it's underwater. I was thinking like, yeah, well, it sounds like Sputnik, but more underwater. I'm I like, will, oh wait, I will challenge that. It doesn't actually really sound like it's underwater until after the one minute and thirty mark. Once you get about halfway through the song, and it takes this kind of fractured change, where it sounds like it becomes submerged, and I think that's where it, that, right. I recall that. that. That that's where it really gets that underwater feel. Like, and honestly, I mean, this whole track is so metaphorically perfect for feeling lost in heartbreak. I mean, first of all, f- when you feel alone, the ocean is the loneliest place. Being dropped in the middle of the ocean by yourself in a boat, I don't think you can get more lonely than that, yeah. except maybe the vast the nose, expansion on the nose, space. This is a much stronger metaphor, and this has much more relatability with the music. But I'm not, the music fit this? And I'm not even done with the metaphor, because then when we get to the submerged part, this idea that once you feel like you've lost all hope, you're drowning in this nothingness that you have nowhere to go except to sink into it and just give way to this breathlessness, this lifelessness. And it, that second half of the song really conveys that. It takes you emotional places that some of the lyrics didn't even do in this album. And, and yet this... I also see denial quite a bit in these lyrics. Yeah. That might be part of the reason, too. Um, sort of like you go to the lonely place or that whole old adage that you... Um, that you will find true love in your hiding place. Yeah. You know? And, because, you know, that's the whole Hollywood way of describing is that you both go to your separate respective places to cry and it just turns out to be the same place. So what do you freaking do? But it's, 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 um, interesting to note that he applies that at the tail end of the relationship here. So when we get behind the walls, love, I'm trying to change and I'm ready for it all, love, I'm ready for the change. Meet me in blue sky. Meet me again in the rain, in the rain, in the rain. You've got to find yourself alone in this world. You've got to find yourself alone. Same concept, really. Right, well... So it, it, there's a form of denial there, but it's also a form of acceptance. You know, mixing the stages. Well, well also that acceptance can be stemming to the more biblical sense, this rebirth with water. You know, you submerge, and when you rise up again... Through this submersion, you're you you're, are whole. You're whole again. That's right. And so I'm I don't know about that one. That one seems like one of my metaphors. No, actually, I think that's that's. I, I don't see any allusion towards the rebirth in that. Well, this is I one of the know. tracks, though. I mean, this is one of the tracks that you have to go straight back to the title for. Sometimes, I mean, here he's more going straight for in the rain, in the rain, because it's probably a more accessible place for people than the middle of the ocean. When you discuss oceans you need to go back to the title and i think it's pretty apt metaphor when you when you think about it i mean just water in general bleeds throughout this entire track well water is a good representation of a cleansing force that's in what he's talking about which is but, what i'm talking but about i'm not getting a, like a religious idea it's just well okay it doesn't have to, but say, it doesn't like, have to be religious no, i'm saying it doesn't have to be rebirth. Well, it has to I be I think you might away. be investing a little bit too much into the lyrics here because I don't really see... I actually don't get that sense from the lyrics at all. I'm basing this mostly musically. I don't... I Towards the end of the track... You don't see this musically? Hold on a second. No, I see... Especially as we go later. This, this... They could not be any more on point here. They bring in 
ocean waves. They bring in the sound bites on top of the bell tolling, and and. But that is actually that hidden little because the song kind of breaks, stops, and restarts with it. Sure. It's, it's a separate entity. But from... that's where those particular lyrics fall. And only the last two lines. And but I would also yeah, say you've got to find yourself alone in this world. But my metaphor goes beyond that too, because what I'm talking about this rebirth, or not necessarily in the religious sense, is where it connects to the next track too. This punch through into this next track where he, there's clearly some kind of rom, rom, almost possible romantic discovery is because he's found himself again, at least momentarily, and has found something. And But but I, I'm saying, what I'm trying to get at, because you keep interrupting me, the best part of this song has nothing to do with the words. It's all about the vocals. I'm trying to get to that. The vocals, for once, are great, and the song is being built around them, as opposed to the other way around. Well, now that I agree with. I yes, don't absolutely. care about the words. The imagery, the second half, where all the... Everything except for those last two lines is being built, honestly, kind of divorced from the first part of the song, in that it's it's almost a restart, and I don't even need it. I don't even really want it in the long haul for what the song was doing. This was all about his inflection. I mean, you don't like the fact that it grew to sort of be on the nose? No, I, I didn't need the visualization of small town Maine. <laughs> that was kind of being built into it. It was pretty and it was intriguing, but it really was not for the song for me. The song and when he was singing and when they were swelling around him, that was what was great about this song. Well, first of all, all it's doing is just giving you a bit of a, a visualization of, of a water-surrounded place. So you include bells much as you'd hear from a lighthouse or from a, um, or from a nearby dock. And it builds, it grows, and then it fades. And I think that was actually a beautiful way to end it, because in the end, all that's all you're left to do. You've got to find yourself alone in this world. You've got to find yourself alone. Because once you're at that place, then you can begin again. So it yeah. paints you the picture, it paints you the setting. I think the end of this track was very much needed in order to actually to actually complete the transformation process and go through everything that Matt had just described. Because, I mean, whether you're invoking religious themes or not, I mean, you can't deny that baptism, the idea of anointing and putting water over someone, has long been uh, the concept of rebirth and change. And that's exactly that's... what happens, and you hear it happen. And I would also say, though, that the lyrics are less impactful with what he's saying through most of the song until the end. It's the end where the lyrics are a lot more impactful in what he's saying as well as how he's saying it. But that whole concept, not even taken from a religious point of view or anything like that. A rebirth and renewal. That me. rebirth, that everything that they do at the end, I did not need at all in this song. I disagree. I, was I, I think getting... I just conveyed exactly why you need it. No, yeah. because the song is already building something separate from that idea. Mm -mm. No, it's it wasn't. Building... It was tied into it. But it's... it's The song's already building a lonely, desolate kind of a field trapped in the middle of the ocean. But Why do they have point... to go on the nose and say, <laughs> you've got to find yourself alone? Why does he actually have to go and say that? Because Why earlier he... in this, he's still ruminating. At the end, he's not. At the end, the denial has it's shed. It's It has shed. And he's completely renewed. The but beginning liked... is still the process of, of 
thinking about it. Wait I... for your call, love. The call never came. Ready to fall up. Ready to claim. And I'm ready for it all, love. There's, It's there at the same time. I feel like the music needs to actually finish that sentence. I had already found it finished. All right, you find it in the vocals, but again, no, I I'm had talking already about found integration it. here between that and music. No, I had already found it. I, I had already seen exactly that. It was him trying to, to, I don't know, defeat the loneliness. And I like the failure. beginning of this he track. He was the failure of it that was actually so beautiful. There's other things we didn't mention. I like the harmonics and the violins. That was beautiful. That's earlier in the track here. I think all of that was great as far as build goes. Because it's sort of in the background there. You hear the light violins um, playing on the harmonics, which is, means it's especially light here. Um, and then the strings gradually creep in. They grow. What the interesting moment uh, is when it's all sort of replaced by a sitar and then dies down and then comes back. In fact, that you say you don't need that is as if to say you don't need the the musical conveyance of the setting and the setting is very important i think to this track because as much as i may like instruments like violins and harmonics it's hard to really put me in 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 that exact same world it puts me in a, in a, in a psychological place but sometimes on the nose is nice the track is called oceans just put me there I feel like when okay my biggest then then what I'm complaining about is that second part that when they they sort of create a new a new setting and that's what it is it it's is not a, a new setting it is a different setting it is I I will not I will not take anything against that because it actually does create a different idea than what the first part of the song is doing the first part of the song is forlorn it is against the ideas of what he's actually saying in the I lyrics. I already said this. He is forlorn. When he goes to the spot, he's forlorn. By the end of the session, he is renewed. That's why there are no vocals there. That's why there is no statement of anything. But After it's those two final two parts. Long, it's two separate th parts. They're not for me. separate. They are for me. Oh, okay. They are for me. That's what I keep saying. They are for me. They are two different ideas in one song. Yes. They don't go together as well as the two of you are making it out. They do go together incredibly well because you go, you think, you ruminate, you discuss, you are involved in your own head, and by the time you are finished, you pause and you're silent. And there's nothing but you and the world, and that's it. That's why they go together. That is, that is rumination defined. Well, then he Better took, than any of the then previous it was, tracks. Then it was too quickly for me. Because it wasn't rumination. It became one to the next without... I, it any... is the end of rumination. So if you interpret his two ideas, good. Yes, but it's too... It, I don't see them actually evolving from one to the next. I see them turning from one to the next. From going from A to B. So quickly. That's that I don't that's, see the actual change That's very evolution. often how it happens when you renew yourself. I mean, otherwise... But instead of if it doesn't happen on a dime, it happens. And frankly, it was a lot more gradual than you make it out to be. It it but it unravels and fades to a pause, and then builds to a sort of to a sort of um, calming environment. Yeah, but to me, the ideas are just not together enough. Both well, were great, they, but we they are were in the not... same boat as last track right now. We're just going around in circles here. I can't I can't see how you don't see this merge, but. There it is. <laughs> I'm saying have any, any... one would have led to the other. I didn't see them going so quickly together. 
I, I have nothing. Do you have anything, Matt? I'm going to take us to the outro of the song. So, after the submerged feeling and the rise to the silence and the sitar-esque sound, it very much quickly builds into the next track, which is the second single from the album, A Sky Full of Stars. It, it quickly jumps to this punch into this piano chord. Shloop. We're there. Straight there. Piano. And it really supports this idea of renewal that I found because when you're renewed, you almost fall face first into the next big thing. And oh, that's no. exactly what this song is. I know exactly where you're going with this and I hate it. <laughs> well, you can hate it all you want. I think it's accurate and I appreciate it. And it's probably why I enjoyed the track as much as I did. But, right. but it takes you into this power chord heavy you know um piano power chords. P- piano power chords that that really start building up what's essentially a pop song but it fe- it has a place here because of this renewal and finding the slight and airy happiness it's kind of you know it, it it builds on that and has a nice sound for it at least in these early moments where do i begin with this all right i may be on more of a john front here and that i see this track as sort of two different types of of songs, and this is purely musically. It begins, yes, as a power ballad, and that's very clear from the piano. It's these strong power chords, and it was a pretty cool transition, to be frank, from the previous, uh, from the previous closing. Um, the rhythm kind of goes back to the simple driving rhythms that we had earlier, which I think we had already been a bit exhausted of, and then it builds up to what I can only describe as a trance track and this is not overstating the matter here because as of the moment when those piano chords kind of just taper off a phasing enters in here which sort of muffles out the present ballad and moves it aside just brushing aside while the steady beat takes over builds up steadily builds up builds up builds up until finally it emerges and just crashes out into an all-out fist-pumping thrash. I can't believe I'm the only one here who just sees this as a little bit separate for the album. Uh, you're not the only one here. You're not. The two parts of the song are the same issue, but much more prevalent than I've had with the past few tracks. They are separate. I mean, even the piano ballad, I'm not even 100% on board with. It's still kind of a basic piano ballad, and it's not really going to win me over. It's something you would come to expect knowing Coldplay's earlier work. Knowing Coldplay's earlier singles. Yes. Which were my second half of what I liked from earlier Coldplay. But this is definitely a departure from what they usually do. Uh, with all this, this is not just light or rhythm machine or just a dashing of electronica. I mean, yes, they go full techno in the breakdowns between the verses. That is very much there, and it is an oddball for them as a choice. The whole song ends up being an oddball for them because it is a very different feel than what the whole album had been doing. That's not saying the song doesn't work as a piece, as a solid little thing, but there is a lot of differences between the verses and even the choruses from the more instrumental line of the techno. I do like it. I like the two parts separate, though. It's a little bit too heavy-handed with the electronica. I think. I gotta that you ask guys... you, Matt, were you inferring before, because we didn't actually get to it, when I said uh, 
I, I had a feeling where you were going, but are, are, do you see this track as some sort of, um, especially considering it is so club-oriented and so trance-oriented, is this the renewal that he has to sort of uh, reprieve himself in a, in, a, in a loud and rambunctious manner? I mean, I, I, that could be part of it, but I wasn't even really going there. The, right. the thing that I stand behind on this song is, Good. well, A, I like dance songs, and so I don't mind that it's a dance song. I get that it feels a little out of place for the record, and I will acknowledge that. I'm not denying that. All right, but, but, but I, as far as dance songs I'm go, I'm not though. done. Let me finish. Also, as far as Coldplay goes, I am not a diehard Coldplay fan. I like their singles. I know their, I know Viva La Vida better than their other albums, but I know their singles best. So... This is still, yes, a little out of place, the second half, for their singles. However, I will not have you guys say that both the first and second part are completely disconnected. Because the power chords are there in the trans part. Stylistically, they are very disconnected. Right, but right. musically, they are not that disconnected. I, mean, this, I need to tackle this. This is a, this is a distinct split that I have with, with what you're talking about. Because first of all, you, you, you um, inferred, well, maybe you didn't infer, but you said you're not a diehard Coldplay fan, apart from uh, your knowledge of... of Vida la Vida, but they're, I am, of course, as you know, and there might be an inference here that, of course, I'm, I'm taking issue with this track just because it is, it is trance-oriented, and I don't know Coldplay for doing anything trance-oriented. Well, I, I have to call a little bull on that, only because, as far as trance songs go, this is, this is just pretty bad, and... I have to go back to the other half, because I said there's a bit of a split here. You mentioned the division and the split between two parts of the songs. The uh, the piano ballad section and the all-out fist-pumping dance song section. I will agree those two are not as divorced, because I know that's what a lot of trance tracks do. They often involve kind of a ballad bleeding into the all-out thrash. But... That doesn't take away from the fact that as a trance song, that would be a very predictable way to go. And as a Coldplay song, it is an equally predictable way to go. The fact that I have a personal history of Coldplay is almost beside the point. Because either way, it's just... it. it, it granted, it doesn't belong in their discography, or it doesn't seem to, and it, but it really doesn't belong in this album. I, I, I can't really... I can't defend this on any on any grounds right now. I have I have got further issue with just it feels like it's his vocals are getting cheapened by the inclusion of this trance as well because the music it's another point where I don't know if his vocals don't feel as well, good also, as they are. It lends to the fact that he has to repeat himself in order to fit the the groove this this steady fist pumping groove here. I mean, how many times does he say, "Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars, cause you light up the path, cause you're a sky, cause in a sky full of stars, I think I saw you, cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars, I want to die in your arms." I mean, it's it's the kind of thing that doesn't fit any other environment than the dance floor, and I think that's why I have a real issue with it. Obviously, Coldplay can create whatever the hell they want. I'm not, they're not beholden to anything in my in my heart, but. But really, as this album goes through, clearly this this would need to be taken as a, as a separate single and then placed on the dance floor setting. And when you listen to it in the flow of this album, considering you go from so many tracks that are, you know, sit, contemplative kind of things, this is just such a bold jump that it, it really 
It belies the whole theme that was kind of being built here. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Well, this is why I... The whole... Can I, I explain? An, I had an artistic pause, and that's one of the reasons what? for... Explain. Yeah. So, in my mind, the way I see that it might fit, and I could be wrong, but I'll take a John Leap, is this renewal, the sense of renewal that the other song was setting up, that this blows straight into, this power ballad that builds, is this kind of mindless euphoria that comes with a new love, this mindless euphoria that follows finding that next step. Well, it's not exactly, but it's very similar to what I thought you were doing in the beginning, the way yes. I thought you were going with track. Um, I think that if it were to fit anywhere in the theme, which, I mean, with love, loss, and with love and loss and that kind of arc, there are some constraints. I do think that this, if it fits anywhere, it fits towards the end, right before the ultimate rumination of the final track, which we'll get to in a minute. I think it's this, the party vibe is supporting this kind of euphoria that comes with the chance at a new love. Is it weak? A little. Does it still make the song completely out of place on the record? Absolutely. Is it intentional? I think it could be. And that's where I'm going to argue that that's, that's, that's art winning over quality in this case because no, I, I will say that no, I don't, I think he's going too far with it. It's, it's, it's just from the first chord where they bleed through and boom, power ballad. Just that whole concept is just, it, it's, it's defeating the purpose of this rumination. I think it's right with them going too far with that because when you imagine, it's, if you imagine your case to be correct, that would be somewhat of a cheeky choice. I don't see any other cheeky decisions on this album. It I mean, jumps. It just jumps into, I'm better now. Let, yay, hooray, celebration. Why? What, where's he, why is he celebrating? A strong contrast. Where's the celebration going on here? Finding new love does not fix you. This is not a, a, a necessarily just like a, a, a general comedic uh, That's a love strong story. contrast to the very slow build of the last track, although that goes into our previous issue, which I don't want to get into again. But either way, I still think the last track was done tastefully. This is... This is... It, it's... I'm over it's her harsh. moving on without feeling like you, you actually did that. It feels shallow because of that. Now, the song in and of itself, I enjoy this song. I do. It's nice. It's upbeat. It's uplifting. But from a from the theme point of view, from the art point of view, it feels kind of cheap. There's also another theory, which is probably more likely. Fire away. They wanted a second single. They wrote this song, and they had to put it somewhere. Where else would you have put this track on this album? I would have put it after the next song. You would have put it as the I final would track. I would not have put this track on no. this album. I would have put it as, yeah. But my point, but that's not the offer I'm giving you. That's not that's not an option. I okay, follow you, no, but I have an answer. I do have an answer without being. They are a prolific band, so frankly, that should be part of it. I would have put it. I would have lightened it a bit and put it as the piece that blends section A and section B of Oceans together. Lightened it a little bit to make no, it a little more complicated. No, no, oceans I wouldn't touch. I wouldn't do that. All right, we're going into the last track's issue now, which I don't want to do, so let's go for the gold here. Track 9-0. Oh. This is the final track on the record. This is the one that's hard that I don't know if I really have complaints for. I think, I, yay. Yeah, all right. Oh, Steve's got something. No, 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 no. Let's just start off. It's a piano solo. 
It's almost solid. exclusively piano. Yeah. With it's... the exception of later on, where I do believe we get a creeping bass. A very, very subtle. subtle. Yeah. With that a bass. little bit of layering, with it feels like they really just lightly dashed in a little bit of electronic work just to do a little bit of phasing on some of the piano notes. Mm-hmm. This track has a very personal and touching feel, both in the lyrics and in the piano playing. Um, it has mystique. It has mystique. It's very stripped down, but, but it's still very beautiful. Um, you can afford to be stripped down when you're a piano solo track for all intents it, and purposes. It feels... It's built off of arpeggios. This was even more stripped down than that. Um, it's actually really nice to hear a song with... Uh, great piano harmonies where you can actually hear them rather than just sort of hammering out riffs on the piano. That's the way a lot of rock tracks use piano. There's a, there is one point I have to point out. The one thing I have to point out, uh, there's a repetition in the chorus of the word aways. And there's such a, uh, a hollow echoing effect in just this one word aways when he says it, that is just, it, it's breathtaking. Do you have that in front of you? And I always look up to the sky, pray to the dawn. Oh, you put the emphasis on away. On because oh, uh, I always still I always. Sometimes. No, it's it's the way it just kind of trails off, echoes out, and just falls apart. Oh yeah. With the solidity of all the other words, it's it's so it's subtle and it's so beautiful that moment right there. It's so telling to what he's talking about, the the flock of birds hovering above just a flock of birds it's how you think of love i will confess this is one of those tracks i'm almost uh hesitant to touch because it is just so beautiful i had the same exact um experience you know at the end of uh god sticks the invisible conundrum when he sung raised concerns it's just there are many fine points of this track although i pr- could probably talk quite a bit more about that th- that track than this one it is a it is a straightforward um, it's a straightforward closer, which I think I expected from as, from the minute I noticed the theme here. I knew I was going to get a track like this, and when I got it, I didn't complain. What's interesting about this track, though, is that after about the, the two-minute mark, we get some silence, and then it goes into an identical replication of the beginning of the first track. Mm. Um, although it expands on it a bit, there's still the stutter that we got earlier on. That's why I would hesitate to put it in the same league as, as Ray's Concerns. <laughs> yeah, it, but it does get that, that you know, the, the vocal vocalizing and the, the vocalizing. It gets the little vocal, like, air, and it, it expands on it a little bit. You hear the female vocals a little more than you did in the actual intro to the album, um, Always in My Head, which is a nice way to wrap it up and make it, perfectly circular well almost perfectly circular i mean i think i think that that theme wise i i really do i'm not going to call that the previous track is uh is a bull um uh single that was just thrown in here theme be damned i think you're exactly right that that is its reason i believe it, it it resembles euphoria because of the the aftermath that this track seems to convey the still I always look up to the sky, pray before the dawn, because they fly away. One minute they arrive, next you know they're gone. They fly on, fly on. It's sort of that, you know, well, life does keep going. So I'm not going to be so nitpicky about the previous track as to say it, it, you know, belies a theme or anything like that. Because it is a, 
The previous track definitely is that pull away, which I do believe you need, and we all are not so rigid with our pick-up move-ons. We don't have them down to a science. Sometimes they're slower, sometimes they're more decisive. So if Oceans conveys the more slower, proper, religious uh, renewal that you might find with many people, then for sure A Sky Full of Stars resembles the pick-up-and-go. Don't worry about it, bro. Don't worry about it. That's definitely that kind of track. Um, which I guess leads me into uh, into just a quick discussion on, on on overall theme here. And that's just the fact... Or, excuse me, overall musicality here. And that's just the fact that... We are kind of all over the place when it comes to this album. I'm not really seeing a, a, a defined uh, um, musical arc. Do any of you? No, no, I think that, which is why I, I, I wasn't so strongly, this doesn't have a place on this album with a sky full of stars, because technically there are a lot of songs I feel don't, don't really fit this album great. But then when you look at it, there's also like, there is some musical inconsistencies throughout the entire record. I wouldn't go. Uh, maybe it's a maybe all there's over a the place. Th- no, no, I don't think it's that far apart from each other. I mean, it's just the choices of instruments tend to be along the same lines. The beat work. I mean, the rhythm itself really is kind of pervasive in the first few tracks. It's solid. It's uh, we're going. Oh, not this again. We said that. This is it's it's repetitive almost, and that's a theme by itself. I don't know. Uh, it's. Just simple, light, kind of a post-rocky feel with an effusion of pop and electronica. That's what it is. That's that's why my biggest... That's why there's the discrepancy with uh, Sky Full of Stars. Because it's not that post-rocky, electronica-infused pop type of a feel. It's trance and power. That's why I feel like it doesn't have a place. Why I feel it's such an oddball choice. Why it really hurts the theme in the long haul. Because I do see a cohesion in the music. It would all be in the same genre. It's just that there are definitely higher levels in some places than others. I just don't agree that it hurts the theme as much as you do. But musically I can see how it's kind of a sore thumb. Especially for Coldplay and especially for the record. Um, but then again, also pop, you know, trans, rather trans and power ballads fit very firmly in parts of pop, which we've already established they have a very firm foothold in. No, no, they had a very firm foothold 15 years ago. I disagree. Viva La Vida even, even Viva La Vida had very, very much pop themes in it. Very, very much. Their singles have always had that kind of pop punch, even back then and even now. And I, I would argue that. I but still argue that many they are... times they they write to the music, and it becomes pop, by virtue yeah. of society or how, whatever you want to say. But um, this album does strike me as a bit of a split between, um, as I said in the very beginning, sometimes here they are writing to the pop. Half of these tracks they're writing to the pop. The other half, they're for sure continuing their their greatness of, of writing to the music, and then pop finds them. Or it doesn't. I mean, who cares if it does or not? Somebody I, begin. I will begin. With the wrap-up. I'll begin with the wrap-up. Because um, I talked it to death. It's a three. This is perfectly average for what I would expect from music. 
there's nothing here that really wows me. There's nothing that's really disappointing me. It's If it wasn't Coldplay, it would still be a 3. I, I hold them to a little bit of a higher standard because I like the kind of melodram, uh, melodramatic feelings they can evoke in me. And they do it to some extent here, but none of it really becomes solid for me. None, none of it is, is standout-ish outside that final track. That's where everything that they used to be kind of shines through. That might make it an oddball itself. But it, it feels like they just went into um, an, a post-rock electronic orientation that just so happens to have a lot of pop ideas in it. I, I can't blame them for this. This is not like a bad genre to be in. I just think that when they were more true to just building the music around the idea of what they want to create emotionally, they did it so much better. You think I, outside feels, influence stepped in in those cases? Yeah, this this there's it just feels hollow in so many places that it just it's digestible to me. It's a it's a three. It's an average album. Uh, I can't agree that it's hollow but if that's how you get from it i mean i can't argue with what you feel that's what you feel but i don't necessarily agree um for me i mean again i'm not a diehard Coldplay fan i guess i could safely say even though it's a non-sequitur because neither of them are related i feel about Coldplay the way steve feels about weird al like i i don't know all of the albums but i definitely know all of the singles and i definitely know the <laughs> band i also definitely know a few albums. Like, I know uh, Rush of Blood to the Head, and I really know Viva La Vida, because it was my favorite record of theirs. The single hooked me, and then I bought the record. Um, with this, I heard Magic. Magic interested me from the beginning, because it was unique to what I stereotypically, based on the singles, expected from Coldplay, which I think is what was different for me. Um, I will admit that there's an emotional void in the, the in, in parts of this track. There are moments where I get hit with it really hard, and there are other moments where I I don't get hit with it at all. Um, you know, in you know, magic. I think I get an emotional sense from just because in the very basic of terms of this kind of childish heartbreak, um, which I really identified with. I guess because maybe I went through a lot of it growing up. I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Doesn't. That's not the point. Um, but then there was it was followed by two tracks that were almost infuriating with how boring and, and, and how how repetitive parts of them got. But then there started to be a more emotional swell between Midnight and Another Arm... another Another's Arm, sorry, I forgot the apostrophe, Oceans, A Sky Full of Stars, and O. Because while you guys more or less... Well, John likes the track, just doesn't like where it is. Steve doesn't like the track at all. And I happen to love the track. Um, I'm getting an emotion from that track based on personal feelings this kind of power ballad i'm a sucker for and then the dance i like dance music and the lyrics are sweet they're beautiful you know they're not mind-blowing they're not super creative but it's just the right combination of stuff in this song that otherwise seems out of place that really hooked me um and took me somewhere emotionally that didn't take either of you which makes perfect sense to me it's just for me it was there and i think that's why i still feel it's part of the album's theme it still kind of fits because you know even though it's kind of digestible and and over the top it still made me feel and i and coldplay if they do nothing else ever 
they usually make me feel, especially with their singles. Um, so, you know, this is not just average to me. They're, with songs like, for me, oh, Sky Full of Stars, Oceans, Another's Arm, like there are so many tracks that I really did, at least half of them I got some kind of an emotional connection from, that at least bumps it up a little bit. That said, it's still not revolutionary. There's a lot of stuff here that I've heard before. As much as I love Sky Full of Stars, insert other pop trance crossover band could have done the same or done it better. I just enjoyed it for what it was, but unfortunately it was still a subpar trance track. Um, so, you know, the quality is just not there from what I think that we come to expect from Coldplay. So I'll bump it up a little bit. I think it's a 3.5. I think it's a little bit above average because they still did some interesting things with some of the songs. But overall, it's still not amazing. You know, I think that their earlier work was was more innovative and more amazing and they were doing more interesting things. But here, you know, they're falling into that trap that Steve said. They were, half the album's playing to, they're playing to themselves and find, and the pop is finding them. But the other half is clearly written for pop. There's no way Sky Full of Stars was not written to be a radio single. It's just impossible. Um, whether it was shoehorned that. in or not, I don't know. But it definitely was written as a single. That, that and Magic were absolutely written as singles. Just because of the way they were constructed, I can't believe it otherwise. And that's a little disappointing. Like, if you're a pop artist and you're writing for the pop, great. But you're Coldplay. Write for Coldplay. And if it happens to be pop, so be it. Who cares? That's what Maroon 5 did in the early years. That's why they were good then. But as we had no problem destroying at the beginning of our podcast career, they went full-on pop and aimed for the pop, and it was obnoxious and terrible. I don't think it's the word pop. I think it's just safe. I feel like Safe. I feel like they lost the edge of, of trying something different that other people will eventually replicate, because that's Coldplay. We've talked about this. They just so happen to end up being pop because people kind of follow what they do that's popular. Here, they're doing the opposite to me. That's why it's just average. Well, again, you're seeing a blank, a, a, a flat slate with the, the album, whereas I'm seeing some bumps and, and, and definition. And, I mean, that's really the only difference. Well, as per tradition, I picked the album, so I'll take us out here. I think the one element... Well, then again, you did just say it, Matt, that uh, you see some bumps in definition. And I, I for sure see some bumps in definition, but I'm going to take that one step further here. To say that, despite the safe tracks, which I hit, and I hit pretty hard, and that are straight up, um, eh, magic is not as safe as far as the singles go, but it's still safe-ish to me. But I find the, the safest tracks here to be Ink, True Love, and of course, A Sky Full of Stars. And those are the three ones that really drag this album down hard for me, and I'm sorry that it did. But the thing that I was saying that I would push a little bit beyond even what you said, Matt, is the fact that I believe they're doing a few things innovative here, or at least innovative for Coldplay, and that's uh, found completely in Midnight. I never really knew that Coldplay could do anything so so intricate in the uh, production territory and in the... Um, uh, in the, in the synth-work territory, something that, that breaches techno and yet still is, is tethered to Coldplay's emotional center. And that's exactly what Midnight was for me. It seemed like the perfect breed of two, in which case, in that particular track, they were pushing boundaries for themselves. 
So that brings me back to the bizarre split that is this album and how ridiculously it can just go back and forth between things that are safe and the things that are uh, very bold and, and looking forward at least. My big question, even though I don't want to bring too much into this because I'm going to bounce back to the objective in a minute, is whether Coldplay really ever had that full-on integration. As I said, I loved when they wrote to themselves, and I believe they always have wrote, written to themselves before they went into pop. But I do know that there was a big split between their singles and their other work. I always had this case in, in all their previous albums, which is why I could never just completely, you know, become enamored with them, because some tracks just are such tailor-made singles, even if they still have that Coldplay center. You know, Clocks, Scientists, even Yellow, these tracks, they're good singles, but they're not great singles, especially when I look at the other stuff on those albums. Spies, Sparks, God Put a Smile Upon Your Face. This is where it was at for me, as far as, you know, the tracks of old Coldplay that did seem earnest. So we go back to this album here. And I just, I almost want to leave that argument as, as a, as a, a beside-the-point kind of thing, because what we're looking at here is what they did. And they put a lot of effort into it, or at least into much of it. The rest of it, it did seem like they just kind of checked out a bit, or they have no personal um, definition between these two extremes. I see them, maybe they don't. Sometimes you just have to have fun, and I guess you they had a little bit of fun with Ink and True Love. But sometimes they're insightful, and I see this mostly through the music, and not so much in their lyrics. Their lyrics always bring me there, but it's always the music and the mood that puts me there most. I noticed that almost immediately right up with uh, Always In My Head, and it made me think, hmm, when I had heard Magic on the radio, perhaps I had overjudged it as I had overjudged earlier Coldplay, because the inner workings of their albums seem to have so much more meat. Maybe in that regard it's not so dissimilar. But how do I rate that kind of thing? Because that leaves the only real tether point to be theme. And the theme here is obvious. Alright, it's a breakup, and it's a various stages of renewal slash recovering yourself in however they he sees fit. We should That's cite a great that I theme. believe he did break up with someone before writing this record. He was in a sub big celebrity couple, I think. And oh, yeah, no, yeah. I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. I just can't place it at the moment. Gwen Stefani. No. Oh, no, not Gwen Stefani. No. Uh, Gwen Fungal. Uh, Let's not theorize on the podcast here. Point is, yes, I'm sure it was real. I'm sure it was grounded in, um... I'm sure it was grounded in truth. But... And, and it's a personal album in that case. But, of course, that's always a trouble when you, you know, extend a personal album to your audience. Is Sometimes there needs to be that... That, that thing that pulls the audience in there with you. And while a lot many people have gone through breakups and serious breakups, and sometimes even juvenile breakups, they will experience a whole range of emotions, but I'm looking for that extra certain something. Again, I say back to the beginning, breakup albums are a dime a dozen. I want a theme that pushes that in a bolder direction. And of that, I see very little. I see just the barest components of... of uh, what a breakup album should give you. And it's not a bad snapshot of uh, the va those various stages. Stages. It's just, it's not groundbreaking in that field. So that leaves the only real 
center that I have with this is the various musical stages in which they do push their boundaries considerably. I'm going to leave that as my, my final point here. That would come down to the, um, the, the riff working in the very first track, always in my head. And it comes down to some of the, some of the, um, the rhythm work in Magic. And then we move on to Midnight, which I've already talked to death. That, that to me, is the most groundbreaking track on, on this, this album. Another's Arms, very sweet, very emotional, still right up there with the Coldplay that I've heard from years past. Oceans, I think, has come together to me to be almost right up there with Midnight. And then O. Oh, you know, I think O is actually a phenomenal track in terms of the build-up of melody, but I... I do know its place on this album, and it's a little bit, uh, you know, we knew we were going to get it. We absolutely knew that. So as a last track, it's not, it's still a little bit safe in terms of placement. I'm going to shoot out a number here. I think I'm going to put it a little bit higher above you guys for these advancements, but really not much higher. 375. I think that fits my, um, my framework of a of an average album that is pushing boundaries in a few places and in some places more um important places than others all right well it seems more or less within line we haven't done it last few and weeks. it was buy it listen to it or what? oh yeah i've kind of after the excitement of the 100th episode and a lot of the other stuff it's kind of been like i've, I've been so on track to just try and take us in directions but um I mean, an overall rating for this is Coldplay. I mean, the, the the bases. If you like mainstream kind of rock and and you like Coldplay, this is worth picking up. Still, it's still you can get a lot of enjoyment. I don't want really to throw it. the word rock in here. I've thrown the word rock around this too many times, and frankly, I don't think it applies to this record because it's the only other thing that I think really hurts me from putting it in in the four range. Otherwise, I might have bumped it up to the four, yeah. and that's just the blatant replacement of a solid moving drum work with drum machine which i think was very hollow and predictable at the end regardless of what we're going to call the genre it it at a at a average of a three five or a three three something anyway it's 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 worth listening to i don't i don't think it's worth buying uh unless you're a devoted coldplay fan and even then i think it's worth hearing i think that the good is still the good and the great is still worth checking out um, and I mean, the, the, the singles are digestible. If you like fun, kind of thoughtless singles, they have them here, and you can kind of get invested in them. Or the exact opposite. You know, I'm just saying this is not a track that I... I mean, this is not an album that I would listen to front to back. I would take page from your book and say this is a throw-in-a-playlist kind yeah. of album, because a few of these tracks really are Sk phenomenal. Sky Full of Stars, for, for me and John, I can think I could safely say, would go great on a mix. You throw it on a mix where it fits in with other stuff that are like it. It's driving music for me. Yeah, it would definitely be... It, it, it's that kind of a thing. As we said before, we review albums, so the cohesiveness of an album is very important to us. Otherwise... They put a lot of effort into several of these individual tracks, and I want that said. And also, one thing I want to say, it's not... The, the Gwen I meant to say before was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, that they broke up after 11 years. I looked it up. That's a long time. I knew it was a Gwen. I knew it was a Gwen. Right, well, thank uh, Then I yeah, don't think Paltrow. that's a one. Oh, oh no, I'm it's sorry. Gwen. It's Gwyneth oh, Paltrow. Bro, oh, broke up after 11 years. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that together, 11 years ago. They got to... No, they got... Uh, it was... dead. Uh, most of the songs they actually said was from uh, Chris Martin's 
a breakup Chris with Paltrow. Yeah, uh, which which makes sense a lot. Um, speaking of Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, the, there's one thing that we didn't really touch on too much about him, particularly, which is something that I noticed from a lot of singers from the '90s and 2000s is the singers who aren't don't fit the typical mold of you know, harmonically or melodically beautiful singer, you know, they tend to go more towards the inflection side of singing than the absolute just... Uh, I want to amend this to say that it pitch. has... Of course. And I want to amend this just to say that it has more to do, I think, with people's perceptions of these singers a lot of the times. Because yeah. of the of the, of the, the rivalry that it seems to, to start up. Um, a lot of people I know... Just can't listen to Coldplay, and that's just it. At the end of discussion, can't get past the vocalist. I personally have never had a problem with the Coldplay. I think I think it was one of the selling points for me, actually, because he has this sort of soft, breathy quality to him that it somehow fits whatever emotional center the, the tracks are trying to build. It just seems to be a match made in heaven to me. Um, but that doesn't get everyone. They hear that breathiness, and they hear more breath than voice, and that's just... End of discussion. Can't get past it. Can't listen to the band. Well, I'll openly admit one of the main reasons I can't stand Bob Dylan is because of his singing style. Exactly. And I, I go straight into the same field with many other, uh, many other vocalists because I feel they're getting away with too much. Yeah. And that's where I'll say that I love Bob Dylan because of his singing style. There's a plenty of bands I really, really enjoy because I'm a self-proclaimed lover of whining lyrics. Of being, you know, off key at points, and I hate that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we know. I have I'm a, sorry. I have a love hate relationship. I'm sorry for you. <laughs> I have a yeah, love. Very disturbed youth. And no, but 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 there is one band we both agree on, and he is not the world's best singer by a long shot. It would be Modest Mouse. This, the, the band promotes inflection, attitude. Not high ranges of vocal work or great harmonies or something like it that. It also invokes playfulness, and that's that's the thing. I think that's really what we're what we're trying to get at here is exactly when does um when does inflection trump classically trained musicianship, classically trained vocal vocalization or 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 just flat out pitch when you don't really have to get it right, and I think. A lot of this began, or at least was was uh, customarily accepted amongst many circles, many audiences, as of the birth of rock and roll. Because all of a sudden, it was a whole genre that embodied attitude. Well, so you take a look at genres deeper in rock and roll, like screamo or you know hardcore metal, where it's mostly screaming and not really a lot of singing at all. But people love it. We're talking like this. Death metal, yes. But my point is... Not regular metal, too. um, Not all regular metal. In fact, one of the newer bands that I've been listening to, uh, Emperors and Elephants... Um, uh, Original generation. Oh, okay. I was going to say, because some of the newer metal has a lot of melodic singing over heavy metal. I would never cast any umbrella across metal, period, just because it's so diverse. But the point... Well, Death Clock. Yes. But the point I'm trying to make (laughs) is... These bands, like take Slipknot for example, a band that was full of gimmicks from the masks to how they dressed to how Cord Taylor, the lead singer, who actually can sing because when he was with Stone Sour, his side project, did sing melodically, but spent a lot of time with Slipknot screaming and yelling. 
I think it's all about this attitude that a band's trying to convey. And some bands, you know, I don't know that we can actually say one is better than the other. I think it's where where and how it works. You know, where is it a band like Slipknot, whether you like them or not, this aggressive, loud persona that they had promoted this screaming, singing mix. It's when and how it works, and also when it, 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 it just sort of exceeds your ability to accept it. Because there's well, some that have been accepted for so many years, and a lot of times these sort of choices are made by even great singers, uh, I mean really great classically trained singers, in order to in order to just fulfill this one point in a track, in a single track. But then, of course, it's back to business right after that. But some people make entire careers off of that, and I think that I think that angers some people, especially the ones that have had the training. Well, if you're talking old school uh, artists, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, um, I mean, Jimi, Jimi Hendrix wasn't a great singer. Jim Morrison was self-proclaimed a poet first, a singer fourth or fifth. Uh these individuals use their voices to begin to personify aspects of the society they were representing. In layman's terms, they were trying to be more like common folk as opposed to the high artist vocal work. Mm-hmm. Bob Dylan wanted that when he was singing. He wanted to, you to feel like he was one of the boys. Same thing with Neil Young. Uh, same thing with Jim Morrison. He wanted you to feel... The words, understand the words first, because if you listen to some of the, the, the actual songs that the Doors were singing, he his voice will crack when he's trying to hit those high notes. Yeah. And he, whether it's intentional or not, he didn't care. He wanted his voice to crack at those points because he wanted to show humanity in his vocal work. Well, also, like, to I back up... I think that's probably one of the best explanations as to why it works and why we accept it broadly, is when there is a premise for that. And I, I, I'm not gonna hate... I mean, even so... Even though Bob Dylan is not my, my preference, I understand that concept of wanting to be one of the common folk because all of a sudden your music, which for him was, was very political in value, has much more of a personal, accept, accessible air. It's not trying to be highfalutin and... If it is down to earth, then maybe it can affect people. Maybe it can affect people's politics. Who knows? Um, I think the only issue with me in that particular case was just that I I, I like my music uh, first and my my poetry second. Um, I well, think I believe a lot of Bob Dylan's stuff could be taken on paper, and I would get the same, if not maybe more, out of it than with the music, which is clearly secondary. Well, we're talking about classic rock as a genre and the birth of rock, but and and that was one case in which it was sort of like a rebirth of the idea of the musician. Punk was another one, and they started speaking towards the youth of the time. And what would be more youthful than like that kind of cracky voice, that kind of like attitude dripping, not going to conform form kind of an idea of the voice, which punk so personified. Which mm-hmm. gave birth to, well, I know Matt doesn't like them, but the Pixies, great example of, it, we would have gotten so li- I can't, I don't know how I can explain this, that we've gotten so little music that we enjoy if the Pixies didn't exist. Well, no, even though I don't true. have an agenda right now or anything, I do think you're coming close to a, a point that I, um, or that many would take issue, is when your whole entire being, your whole the embodiment of your genre and what you have chosen has surrounded itself around one particular goal. 
And that, I do believe, is a problem for many people, because that, that means that your essence has sacrificed variety. Like, well, it, well, what you're describing with punk, for instance, if, if that is your goal, then that's all it will ever be. Because people have identified you as such, and it's hard that, to pull that, out of that. But really that's, hard. that's an argument that you can't really make, because we've seen where punk has actually gone. It's become more expansive from giving birth to other ideas Some as well. Of it. Because Some of what it. it does. <laughs> but it, punk has gone and evolved itself. But yeah, the original idea mm. had to be changed for it to grow, not just uh, conceptually, but musically as well. But I would believe that once punk evolved itself, it stopped being punk. Well, because otherwise that, that wouldn't be the whole, you know, single well, centered concept. Idea, the idea that punk is dead is mostly because it's not dead, it just changed. You couldn't stay just pure punk and actually go anywhere. You know, the idea of like when Green Day first started, a song like Basket Case, which we all know, is very much the whiny, angsty teen, my life is, in, is crap, here's why. This is why I'm crazy. It's because of all these things. You know, and it's very identifiable because it's young voice, very whiny, very average, conveying these very straightforward ideas about why his life sucks. But then you take Billy Joel when he gets older, and even though his singing never really vastly improves, how he sang changed. You know, you take Time of Your Life or American Idiot or 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 When September Ends, and there's a different inflection because he doesn't have the pitch that others had. He still switches up the inflection and evolve, evolve the music around it ah. to get to that next place. But see, now you're almost shedding away the entire premise of this discussion because now we're not talking about, um, about singers that for all intents and purposes, have banked on, on particular s types of singing or more down-to-earth types of singing. That's just the argument that, well, different people have different voices and well, okay. different conveyances. Uh, and they always have been that way. A, a similar band from the exact same time who inspired many a people in the exact same way and had almost the same exact fan base, to be frank. Blink-182. Mark and Tom, the the two front uh, singers because well by the end of it Travis was never talking on stage they're both just don't have range they really just they, they don't they, 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 they don't have a whole lot of inflection but they infuse their vocals with so much attitude and put it to such a lot of times satirical a lot of times even comedic but mostly just attitude-laden uh, lyrics that it, it, everybody of that era, of that age, like, it, it's hard to divorce it. It's hard to get away from it because when you're at, at that age, at that youth, listening to it, so many people just went, that makes sense. But of course, a lot of that, and, well, who knows? I mean, maybe they've tried to, to sort of reach the higher notes or, or, or step out of their range, and they just decided that they couldn't do it. Well, we they see, never, in this they case, never really in this have case, evolved. They haven't really changed the way they do their vocals. Their music has but it's gotten not more as, complicated. But it's not as if that's really like a, a, a requirement, you know, for music. Oh, is that you have to have a wide range or anything. Of course, many melodies are written within a, a, a tighter framework. Many great melodies have been written within a, a, a tighter framework. Things, that, you know, where the intervals just, just are not going to go beyond a certain point. And that's your comfort zone. That's where you're going to stay. That's not bad. And well, I'm not that's talking about often, the melodies. I'm talking about great. the vocals, though, is not that wide range. Well, th they've that, never they're expanded intertwined up. if their vocals are their melodies. 
and their harmonies, but like their vocal range, they they know where they are. They've never really expanded a beyond what their voices could do or try really try. Well, well you can't. <laughs> and when they did, a lot of times, well, you can uh, potentially. Uh, a lot of times when Tom would actually try to hit the higher notes, his voice cracks. He can't he can't do it a lot of the time for what he's going for. And they haven't changed that because that's part of their persona. That's part of who they are. They're Blink-182. They're just going to tell well, you like it is. that's where we're really going with this is that's artistic choice. Yeah. Artistic choices tell you like it is and, you know, it, range be damned. Well, you can also take artistic choice in the other direction. Let's take James Hetfield of Metallica. Their early records, the dude couldn't sing. And he knew he couldn't sing. He was off key. He, he, he just, he did what a lot of metal singers did. He just screamed and shouted and yelled and put passion behind it. It's where the, ooh, yeah, comes from with Metallica. Is this, this idea of attitude in the songs that are so cliche, but it's because he knew he couldn't sing, so he backed it up with inflection and some other stuff. But for the later records, after Load and Reload, and they cut their hair, changed their style, and became more professional and tried to take them themselves in a more modern direction, which some people rebelled against, he learned how to sing. He took lessons, he took voice lessons, learned how to not blow out his voice every night, and I think it improved the band. I mean, yes, people. some people don't like after the Black Album because they felt they sold, sold out, which is a concept and we will discuss in a future podcast, is the dumbest thing ever. But we'll <laughs> but get I to think that. That's a, no, that's an, interesting, uh, that's an interesting idea. Just, of course... I think that's really more where I lie with this, is I do believe uh, that that training and, and development and personal work toward that end is going to help most musicians, the vast and, majority of musicians, unless you're, you're, you're typecast in some way. Well, right, and also, if you have a certain inflection, learning to sing better won't make you lose that inflection. In of fact, not. it could help you hone it. And, well, and the fa- blowing out your voice every night is a big problem, especially, you know, for a lot of musicians, they... They, they burn out fast because of that kind of thing. And had they took the time to perhaps, you know, not just say, well, I don't need to learn classical training. I don't, I don't need to, to exercise this part because it's just it's my shtick to do this one thing. Then you're not going to have a very long career, potentially. Well, that, that that's not always true. One of my favorite Not bands, always true. Not always but, true for someone who both yells and actually has a vocal rage. David Draymond from Disturbed. He would sing, and he actually does have a, a pretty good range, uh, but he also included a lot of expected heavy metal, kind of a deep, guttural, gravelly kind of a piece. Um, and he kind of gave it because that was what was expected of heavy metal when he was making his music. On the flip side, he was very melodic in his verse work, in a lot of the pieces he did. He was able to straddle it to actually do the kind of simplistic vocals to get the emotions, yet still convey very melodic theme work in, in a lot of his verses. It's it's one of the reasons why he's 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 in easily my top five vocalists because he was able to do everything heavy metal wanted and everything a lot of genres would want with his voice. I do believe. The best of heavy metal incorporates the the best of both worlds. Well, um, when it can be versatile and not just sort of b- b- blowing your ears out the entire time. 
Well, let's go back to your original question and the core of this discussion to begin with, because we're kind of now getting to the name game and just, oh, this artist and that artist, and that kind of takes us in circles. I agree. But this idea that, you know, which is better, inflection versus pitch, the reality is the best of both. I think that's what we're getting to is if you don't have one but have the other, make the most of what you have. But I think a true vocalist knows how to utilize both because you can be a great melodic pitch singer and still have inflection you know some of my favorite singers both local and on a higher level use both and do both to their advantage i also know the the fact i mean this is where i thought you were going to say and that's the fact that a lot of a lot of musicians that are that have perfect pitch for all intents and purposes in my opinion lack inflection i know this personally just from uh people that i know personally I, i i discovered this with you know, games like Rock Band and whatnot, when you can get up there, and it holds you to only one standard, and that is pitch. Yeah. That is it. You sing on the microphone, and that's the only thing that it is requ- you are required to do. And you can get 100%, but I could sit back and say that there are people I know who've gotten 100%, but I would never accept them as singers of my band because the inflection just isn't there. Sometimes, if, if you're inflectionless, or if or if you there's a certain quality of your voice that you're not in incorporating into the song where the song really requires it that's that's really gonna hurt it it's really gonna hurt you in your your entire career then it might be inflection could be more important than pitch in the long haul because bob dylan going back to him it, it would his voice would his music be so uh not just recognizable but long-lasting if it, he didn't have such a distinctive kind of nasally tone to him if he was more it like everybody else, it could just be that else, magnetic attraction is what it is. If it could that distinction, like the the inability to be always on pitch, be an actual benefit in some cases because it separates you from. Well, if you got perfect pitch, you could be in a choir, mm-hmm. you could sing along with everybody else. But if you don't have perfect pitch, but can still sing, if you can. St- do you can, things you can be, wrong. You can be an identity. Exactly. That's where I think inflection could be more important. Just the ability to convey maybe better than the ability to purely sing. Well, you're turning me around here. I mean, that's probably true. Uh, it's well, definitely what separates artists in that in that field. Well, and also the idea that as the singer, typically you are the front man or woman. And as the front man or woman, you're, you have a charisma that other band members may just not have by nature. So you're expected to also have this kind of attitude that goes along with an inflection. Like, anyone can sing a song in front of a microphone, but giving it your own personality, your own spin, your own attitude is what sells a song. You know, and that, and I think inflection is a big part of that. It's not just the singing. We say this all the time. It's not just what you sing. It's how you sing it. And I think that's really key. And I think that, I don't know that I would still say one is better than the other. I think the dream even ground is a well mix of both. But but definitely, I would agree, Steve, that inflectionless singing is boring and awful. <laughs> yeah. So, I think... So, if, if maybe we did come to a, a conclusion, I mean, I do believe that the best of both is, is probably where where I'm I'm leaning but if you had you to gotta, choose you gotta make if you a good had point. to choose if you had to choose it's it's better to stand out from the herd 
Yeah. Even we, though we at least being remember pit. identities where the traditional singing was not always superb, but at least the inflection and the personality was. But frankly, a lot of people who may have perfect singing but have no inflection or identity are probably forgotten. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a safe bet. I believe those are eventually called the backup singers. Or, I don't know, people who have other jobs <laughs> yes. and never follow through. Um... Well, that wrapped up nicely. Um, Steve, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about our... Wait, um, see, and now I'm having a brain fart due to lack of sleep. We do spam, and then I tell you what's next week, right? Yes. So tell us... 103. 103, Matt. Well, we've been messing with the system recently. No, we haven't. Yeah, we have. I've been maintaining it. Yeah. I control the system. Well, yeah. You do, because you're the sound guy who controls everything. Oh, I control the whole system. Yeah. You won't know that, though. Good replies in return of this question with real arguments and telling all concerning that... It doesn't really end there. Let me see. It has a period there. It does really end there. Oh, Spanish wedding dresses. I've heard of them. Spanish wedding dresses. Yes. Yep. What's weird is there should be underscoring. In the uh, name? Yes. Why? Because otherwise, how can you use it for an email to actually have a space there? Oh, oh it was author. Oh, okay. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. My apologies. The email and the author are often not the same, actually. Oh, I had no idea because it's usually at gmail.com or at some little service in thailand.com. I believe the email was 17gh12.co.uk. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, next week we are having our guest for this month for the month of what month are we in July our guest is the living statue Galatea um, I've been friends with her for a very long time um, she is a busker and a um, a busker in the city she does living statue art in Manhattan as well as a burlesque performer and living statue art at burlesque shows um, she's going to be bringing us the album Singles by the band Future Islands. Now, I actually haven't heard of them at all, so I'm kind of really interested. They just came out with a new record, I believe, early this year, February, if I'm not completely wrong. Um, and so she's bringing us that record next week. Um, we're excited to have her on. She's never been on the show before, but we've I've talked to her about it a bunch, so she's excited to finally come on. Um, so yeah, that's what we have to look forward to next week. And in some other podcast news, this coming Thursday, I will be speaking at The Point in the Bronx at Camp PowerPoint specifically to speak, I'll talk direct from the email here, to about 60 students and engage and have them learn about the arts, leadership, environmental stewardship, and community development. I won't be covering all of those things, but I'll be covering Crash Chords and what we do here today and how even... Even you can start a website and make a potential career out of blogging. So if you're listening to this the day it comes out, run over to that thing because it's Thursday. Also, don't... But do you probably blog. have to be between, like, you know, 15 and 18 and and in the Bronx. And and don't, don't go into music blogging because I don't want the competition. It also says 60 here, so may, maybe that's a very limited number. Run now. Yeah, go, go, go. And kill someone and take their place. No. Let's not don't. advertise murder. I'm not a fan of that. Don't do that at home, kids. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Hatchworth. Um, on that very shocking, horrifying, and terrifying note, 
remember and never forget, because that's what remembering is, music is life and life is good.